Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. It's time for episode 206, with the first part of a multi-part session in which Graham McMillan and I answer questions posed to us by our listeners on Twitter and Patreon. Over the next two and a half hours, we discuss the Legion of Superheroes, Bob Haney, Death Note and Platinum End, Metamorpho, which graphic novels we teach in high school, Commandy, Kamala Khan, and much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Ah, Graham McMillan, hello! Ah, that was a good start. <laughs> How do you know podcast going to be good? Because Jeff's like, ah! I can't, I can't help it, you were kind of yelly. I, I, I am a little bit frantic. <laughs> I, I shit you not, Jeff and listeners, uh, I literally got in the door four minutes ago. Wow, Graham, that's, I mean, you know... Do you want like an extra ten? Grab some no. food, like no. do a thing. No, no, no. We're doing this podcast. We're doing this podcast. No, well, that's great. What not? What you don't know is that uh, we're actually recording fifteen minutes late because I texted Jeff like what an hour ago. Yeah. I was like, I'm not in Portland. <laughs> I'm going to be fifteen minutes late. I'm really sorry. Um, we uh, we got out of town today. We hurry. went to something called Lost Lake Loop. Lost Lake Loop. Right, which is a great name, yeah. uh, and and it, it was wonderful. It was it was it was uh, uh, it's three and a half mile hike around a lake. Mm-hmm. Lake is not lost, despite the name, uh, and it was it was really beautiful and, and really nice. Uh, the only problem being that we thought it was going to take you know X amount of time. And it actually took X plus an hour. Oof. Do you want to know why that extra hour happened? We stopped for lunch. Oh, yeah. And you'd think that stopping for lunch wouldn't have that much time. And apparently it did. And we only realized when we got back in the car in the evening and we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. We're not going to be back in Portland in time. This is a problem. <laughs> oh, it's not so much of a problem, Graham. I'm sure we'll... We'll struggle through. Besides, this is the Q&A podcast, you know, like... Exactly. This is the one where I, I have, I've read some of the questions ahead of time. I haven't read others. Uh, it, it's been a week. I think you've had a, a bit of a crazy week as well, Jeff. I have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So, have. so have you had a chance to look at the questions or are yeah. you also going to be doing this blind? Uh, no, I've looked at some of the questions. Uh, I, I tried to get a little... Um, one document where I could try and paste them all into. Oh, you're you're way ahead of me then. I was literally just going to go off all the emails we've had and all the notifications. Well, that's good because there's a few notifications that I missed. But actually, cutting and pasting this, I really had that sense of. Uh, well, first off, thank you everyone in advance who uh, contributed. I'm especially grateful to see such a, a, a strong response from. Uh, people on Patreon who, when I uh, posed the question directly on the board, I thought that was kind of awesome that we got as many responses as we did. But so I'm excited about that. But I can also tell we are going to go to podcasts in. Oh, I yeah. I, I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wacky. Pretty wacky. A lot of good questions. I, I, yeah, I saw a lot of discussions of like these could be episodes in themselves. Absolutely. And other ones where I'm like, oh, this person's going to be bitterly, bitterly disappointed. 
Oh, there is. There's one. I can't remember what it is, but there's one I saw, and I was like, "This is a this is a two word answer." Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is. I just remember going, "Yeah, that's that, that's that's a question we'll answer quickly." Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. It'll be curious. So, uh, so should we get in on should that? Just dive into it. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So my understanding is the first question we got was from the legendary panda, which is Zaragoza. Ah, Zaragoza, thank you. Uh, I also read that the legendary panda as Glengarry Glen Panda, and I was very excited <laughs> by that until oh, I realized. That's, no, that is wonderful. From now on, Zaragoza, you are Glengarry Glen Panda. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing because it's a somewhat longer question, I think, but uh, some of the other ones are short. I'm sure as we, depending on as we go, we'll either start panicking, but you know, the, one of the uh, benefits of being first is uh, we read your uh, very long question in full length. So uh, Zaragoza asks, I have a few friends who are professional comic artists and something that comes up all the time in discussions with them regarding creator owned work is the whole bullshit concept of the writer owning everything in terms of IP, etc. Robert Kirkman is the most egregious example of this. Mark Miller is a counterpoint, splitting all ownership 50-50, which clearly helps him work with top-tier artists. I don't really think Miller does this out of the goodness of his heart, but hey, if you save a guy from a burning building because he owes you money, you're still a hero, I guess. Anyway, it seems like most big-name writers are on what I believe is the only ethically correct side of this issue. Alan Moore, Brian K. Vaughn, Bendis, Hickman, Jason Aaron, Ed Brubaker, the aforementioned Miller... But there's still quite a lot of writers on the wrong side. Warren Ellis has certainly been with all the books he did for Avatar. I think Grant Morrison pretty much owns all, and all of the major, or majority of his Vertigo work outright. My understanding is that Grant has the same unique deal with Vertigo's Neil Gaiman, where he basically owns, controls media rights IP for all of his work with them. And I heard Sean Murphy say outright on a podcast that Grant gave Murphy a 30% ownership stake in Joe the Barbarian, as if that were a generous thing. It seems like GM and Warren Ellis basically feel like if an artist is big enough to warrant co-ownership, they will give it to them, as I assume Ellis has done with uh, Declan Shalvey on Injection. The worst and most craven examples of this bullshit that needs to be called out to my eyes is Robert Kirkman, not only with The Walking Dead and Outcast, but every single book under his whole Skybound sham of an imprint, where Skybound, meaning Kirkman, owns a majority interest in all of those books. He controls the IP, period. He and his business partners, not the creators. That just seems so awful to me as to defy all decency. The whole reason, of course, is that Kirkman happens to occupy such a rarefied position is because Image gave him and Tony Moore the rights to have full ownership of The Walking Dead. Kirkman naturally then screwed over Tony Moore, but that's another story. Maybe I'm wrong here. I don't think so. But Kirkman seems like the kind of guy who makes it across a bridge in a war zone by the skin of his teeth and then blows up the bridge so that no one else can follow him. Am I being too harsh? It just seems like we should either be past this kind of nonsense in this industry, since we all know the awful history of the way so many of our great artists were screwed over and died penniless. Or, at the very least, we should be, as a community, publicly shaming creators like Kirkman, who hoard and snatch away IP from less fortunate creators. I hear many artists discussing this privately, but it seems like it's barely a thing in the online community, even after Tony Moore took Kirkman to court over Kirkman's dishonest dealings with Moore, his childhood friend. Is everyone just afraid of alienating the mighty Kirkman or other name writers by openly discussing how wrong this practice is? 
As much as I find Alice Scott to be kind of annoying personality-wise, I do appreciate the novelty integrity of his move in splitting ownership of the IP for the comics he does with the artist and the letterer and the colorist and the book's designer, in Zero's case, the incomparable Tom Mueller. That seems like it would be a nightmare contract-wise, but maybe not. Anyway, as far as the comic industry goes, it's certainly a bold move to err on the side of being overly fair. So, Graham... Do you uh, do you do you have any do you have any quick take takeaways any any uh, points you want to make? I, I have or? a couple of quick takeaways. Uh-huh. The first is, uh, I I think I think he's right. I I think there is, I think Kirkman owning all of The Walking Dead after screwing over Moore is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it's here's when I start to split hairs. I think when it's a property that is. Co- equally created by the writer and the artist, mm-hmm. then that should definitely be shared 50-50. Mm-hmm. I think when it's a property that someone brings to someone else, then the property split shouldn't be 50-50. If, and I, I, I'm literally making these things up. I don't know the, the deal of any of these. But looking at, for example, the Alice Avatar books, if Alice basically brought the concept fully formed to Avatar, and then they put an artist on the book, I don't think the artist should own 50% of the property. I think they should own something, because obviously they're still designing and they're, you know, they're still contributing, but I don't think it should be 50-50. And also, on the Skybound books, yes, it's bullshit, but I also think the real problem is the people thinking of those as creator-owned books, because it's really work for hire. And I think there's, there's... we have to get better at recognizing some books are work for hire. For example, uh, Rob Liefeld's properties are work for hire books. Mm-hmm. That when people are like, "Oh, you know, profit that that's that's creator own book," it's not. If you know Brandon Graham was working on it, but he doesn't own the book, mm-hmm. you know, that's a work for hire property, mm-hmm. and that's uh, okay, I guess. If everyone goes into it knowing it's a work for hire book. I, I think we just have to be better at recognizing that, you know, some books are work for hire, some books aren't. When uh, Kirkman let Phil Hester and, was it Todd Nauk do, do Image Universe, uh, sorry, Invincible Universe, or whatever it was called, that's clearly a work for hire situation. And I think that's fine that yeah, Hester and Nauk didn't own the properties. But at the same time, I think then you have to pay them a better pay trade as a result, you know? Yeah. I, so, so there's a couple of things and, and I, there's, let's, let's break it into a few different parts. Cause for me, I think the important thing is, is that, um, as much as I am, as much as I'm into publicly shaming on the internet, the fact of the matter is is that if artists are not talking about this stuff in public and they're not making public stands on it, then it, it, it's not up to other people to bring it up. Yeah. Like if you are if you are an artist on Book X and you're not talking about it, I'm not sure you're really helping artists on Book X by going, do you know this is terrible? Because right. we have no idea what else went on behind the scenes yeah. there. We, we, we really don't. The the unfortunate matter is is that um, uh, yeah it, it it's a little bit like my big stand on on Marvel, <laughs> which is I was boycotting them 
they settled with the Kirby family and then I was going to keep boycotting them. And then I realized I wasn't, no one, it wasn't just that no one else was making a stand. It was that I realized there's what, what workers at Marvel can do, what artists and creators uh, who work for Marvel can do is way, way out of proportion to what I can do. You know, like in terms of the uh, efficiency, like I can stand up and down and holler until I'm blue that the people at Marvel need to be treated better and they need like more than one fucking bathroom per gender in the entire, you know, uh, complex. And if the people inside the building aren't going to say anything, it's not it's it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. So big fan as I am of public shaming. uh, I want to throw something uh, in a similar in a similar direction, but sort of additional to that, mm-hmm. which is we also don't know what the ethically sound people we know in those situations are doing behind the scenes. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, and that's it. There could be uh, there could be struggles going on, but so my first thing is so this is the problem with the comics industry is is that it is deeply 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 skewed so that the people who have the money have the power and in many cases not all um i've the writer uh puts up the money for the project so that the art because they can write the script in a relatively short period of time and it takes the artist much longer uh and usually as a result of that they insist on owning the ip uh or owning the lion's share of the ip now, uh, and similarly, you can see that skewed over to where I'm sure someone like Morrison would be, and I could be entirely mistaken, but I hadn't really heard of Sean Murphy before Joe the Barbarian. He arrived on the scene and was huge, you know, as a result of well, that. And well, I he, he, he'd yeah. been around before, but yeah, that was definitely the, the, the thing that broke him. Right. For, you know, slobs like me who are paying no attention. And, and so... Well, and there's also – I'm going to say I have I have not heard that Morrison owns the, the media – like controls the media IP and everything for, for his vertical work. Yeah. That that also sounds – not only like I've not heard that, but contrary to things I have heard. Mm-hmm. And, and so – and this is the problem is, is once you get behind – there is – there is a wall and it's nobody likes talking or sharing about what's happening behind the wall. And I think that it's just, um, it's, it's very problematic to start, you know, storming the barricades, even something that seems as cut and dry, uh, as Kirkman being, you know, a dickhole, uh, to Tony Moore, there's still a, you know, there was stuff that was being presented in, in the legal paperwork on both sides that Kirkman bought out more for a tremendous amount of money. Um, and supposedly ostensibly had to do that because Hollywood doesn't like dealing. Yeah, with, but you know, well, and who knows <laughs> if they'd fallen out enough by that point, maybe, maybe it's like, I'm not going to incorporate with somebody who, um, you know, who I'm not talking to, who sure, slept with I, my I, wife, I, or you know, whatever it happens to be. No, no, no I'm just, I'm, I'm saying, you're, like, you're right. I just, uh, I do trend towards the. I think Kirkman was kind of shitty in that situation, but you're, you're actually totally right. There's lots of things we don't know. So, I mean, there's for myself, it's you know, and people behind the scenes can say something like, you know, Walking Dead never would have gotten published if Tony Moore hadn't 
done the first seven issues of that book because that's what Image wanted. Or the flip side of it is, you know, Tony Moore left the book after seven issues and that book would have been dead in the water if Charlie Adlard hadn't come along and it never would have made it to the TV stage, never would have made it to the profound hit stage of thing. I mean, even mm -hmm. something, let's look at someone like Alan Moore, who is, you know, who who is not so much as on the ethically correct side, as far as I know, is, is even I, who am a booster of Moore, would like to believe or support. On the one hand, we've heard stories more by going in, um, you know, uh, to, with big numbers, uh, ended up completely losing the chance to have that finished by, you know, going in, I think, very heavily with Sienkiewicz. Unless, unless I'm wrong, and Sienkiewicz was actually work for hire on that, which... That was, I think Sienkiewicz was owned yeah, part I think of it. so too. I, I, it makes me wonder does what are Moore's right situations are with his Avatar books. And well, which is where I was going to jump because I I haven't looked at those. A, a flip side, something that I think you brought up, um, you know, within the last dozen podcasts or so, Graham, is that uh, there are people who worked on the 1963 books who are complaining that Moore refuses to let them reprint or finish the material yeah, I, without him. Alan, Alan Davis is his very publicly said that Moore completely fucks him over with Captain Britain and yeah. Miracle Man. Right. Like, uh, outright said, yeah, he, he fucked me. Right. Right. So there, there's, there's a, it's, it's, well, it's, but this is, and this is a slight tangent, but mm -hmm. the, the Captain Britain and Miracle Man and Zenith for that matter, mm -hmm. uh, write situations where the artists and the writer do own their own uh, contributions to the series right. does point out the the problems with co ownership, right? Because because you have the point where one of the owners wants to do something with the property, and the other is like, nope. Well, and what I think is interesting is to me, uh, it, it would be fascinating to see the world in which that other person saying nope is actually allowed to do that. You know, because as I think you and I had talked about. One of the things that we were looking at in the situation with, I believe, when the uh, Seagulls were going for Superman is, is that they could have, if they gotten full co-ownership of the character again, they could have licensed that character out for other people to pub other, yeah. other companies yeah. could have published a Superman comic. There's mm -hmm. a part of me which does find it a little strange, not that I know of the issues, that, that the 1963 guys can't turn around and take those characters that they co-created and do something with them because that was the original idea behind co-creation in copyrights is both of them own it. There may be Material where they have trouble, difficulty. Basically, it's designed to have something such that, you know, if the rights to Watchmen fell back into Moore and Gibbons' hands and they had a falling out, each of them could choose to reprint the material the way they wanted in the yeah. way that they chose. So, Which, uh, but it seems to be the opposite, where, whereas one person can block the reprint as opposed to. Right. They're, which is, they're, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. And that, and that may be, and it could just be that that is a situation where people are like, I'm well, I, pretty I think, sure that you could prevail in court on this, but do you really want to go through the, the, well, I think it's also the difference in British and American copyright law. Oh yeah. That's actually because a good point from too, what right? I know, mm -hmm. the Zenith and Camden Britain and Miracle Man situations are based on British copyright law. Whereas we're in the, writer owns the story and the artist owns the art. 
Right. So it's not so much that they both own these, the property and have mm-hmm. equal rights to the property. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, Alan Moore can be like, I want to reprint Miracle Man. And Andelves will be like, great, but you can't use the original art anymore. Right. You'll have to have someone redraw it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the problem with Zenith as well, that Morrison was essentially saying, you know, I've got no problem with you using Steve's art, but you can't use the, the story. Right. Right. So, uh, so it's, it's a mess. And on the one hand, I think that it is absolutely a terrible situation. I think that it is uh, a shame. I, I have to say there's a lot of writers and artists out there who are work very hard to create more amicable solutions and situations. And it is a shame to see that Kirkman, regardless of what the situation was on the walking dead, he very much set up skybound as work for higher properties and, or properties that he was taking some sort of chunk on. For example, he didn't, he didn't create witch doctor in any way, but I know, but by, it was the first title, I think the first non Kirkman title under skybound. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just, I think it's just one of those situations where like, if you create it, like you are agreeing to a certain element of like work for hire. It's the same as the, the vertical deal where my understanding is you, you, even for creator own title, you're basically giving DC some proportion of the media rights right. or the, or the, the rumored, we have no idea if this is true because no one's talking about it. Stella deal mm-hmm. where you create the property and Stella owns it. Yeah. Which is horrible, but unsurprising. Uh, I mean, there's just been a lot of times in which people have gotten screwed on this stuff. Reversion rights, you can hear people telling stories about, you know, their properties being tied up at First Comics for years after the bankruptcy because they were considered company assets. And therefore, you know, it's it's just... And and the same with Eclipse. You know, that's how how McFarlane thought he had Miracle Man. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that really was a snake pit. And then then you look at, you know, I should point out when I was saying about Kirkman that, you know, we have those problems with Image. Image were a bunch of artists who went and struck out on their own talking about creators' rights. And within a very few short years, they all had bullpens set up. Yeah, exactly. They They, they 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 were studios, Jeff. Oh, completely yeah. different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely Sorry. wasn't being mini Marvels and DCs. Definitely wasn't work for hire. There were studios. It yes. was much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was much better, wasn't it? So it's it, – it, oh, and it, we should even mention one of the things that's scary is is that my understanding is that like the image contract, which creators get, which is the most, you know, hands – off version, more or less available in the marketplace today, is well, basically no, a rewritten Vertigo contract. Right? In the direct marketplace, yes, in the direct marketplace, because you've got you know Scholastic or First Second or or you know I mean there's there's other companies where you own just as much as you do with with Image. Well, you you have a better chance of negotiating it. Let's put it that way. Well, the fir- the First Second one is the traditional book publishing contract, right? By the same, like what, buys like first rights to sure. print. That's it. But but like uh, even within traditional book publishing worlds, you know, I don't remember if Scholastic did the Sweet Valley High or uh, what's the other one. But basically, there was a woman who wrote 
79 goddamn oh god books, yes it's, it's the yeah, i remember that babysitter's and, and club she, it's the babysitter's club i think is yes. it, isn't it yeah it's, no, babys- it's not babysitter's club it's no. something else but she got screwed and it's not sweet valley high it's not no, vampire it's, high no it's uh, it's vampire it babysitter's a, it is a vampire club. type thing maybe it's vampire diaries oh maybe it is i think it is vampire diaries you know came up with the concept f- fleshed everything out wrote all the books herself ended up signing a work for hire contract yeah, but again, aware. that was not Scholastic. That was with one of the packagers. Yes. So anyway, all I can say is is that yes, there there this, are other this opportunities shit is everywhere. throughout the, the world. Version. But it is it 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 is insidious, and people who've heard me rant and complain, um, I think part of the problem is is that media companies generally would like to be more like comics. <laughs> the the bad side of comics than the other way around. And the only thing that keeps that stuff at bay is the willingness of creators to make a stand and rally public support for them. But you can't public support on its own is it just doesn't do it. It just doesn't do it. So well, especially because and I would say this and then we should move on because otherwise I think we are going to spend half an hour talking about this. Yeah. Um you, if you're trying to make that case, if you're trying to make a stand, it has to be the people it's affecting because otherwise people just won't believe you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to have the verisimilitudes to to say, I know what this deal is. Because Jeff, you and I both know bad deals in comics, but right. they're not our deals, mm-hmm. so we can't we can't go public with them because we can't we can't go public with them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we we could both name and shame people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah. but there's no. There's no value in that because we can't prove it. And so then it just becomes, you know, rumor. Right. It does. And and rumor really doesn't doesn't do much. It's you've got to have people who are willing to come out and speak about it. Yeah. So uh, Okay, so the next question, I uh, do you have Matt Miller from Twitter? Because he I wasn't. Do. Mm-hmm. Hooray! Hey. Okay. Matt Miller asked, What is your esteemed co host's worst opinion? Oh, that's such a good question. There's a couple of questions in here that are really good about the let's you and him fight. Uh, yeah, I actually don't know. I, really? I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. I was like, I was tempted to, you know, do a jokey answer of like, you absolutely adore, you know, manga, which is totally, hey, panty shot. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And also, I'd like that you disagree with me. I, Do you know, I, yeah, like your right. your worst opinion is at, at worst something that we end up having a fight about on this podcast, right? You yeah, know? yeah. Part of me is like, I think, I think most of I, our I, fights I we've give had. You a new one, though. What's that? I can give you a new one. Oh, go for it. A new worst opinion of mine. Oh, okay. I, I think Suicide Squad the movie is fun, even though I swear to God, Jeff, it's a shitty movie. <laughs> It's a piece of shit. Wow. Wow. I was going to ask, but I was going to wait till there were some suicide yeah, questions for them. Yeah, there are some questions about it later, but, uh, by, I'm offering that up as a, as a sacrifice. I am, as, as Katniss said in, in Hunger Games, I, I offer myself tributes. Ah, you know, Graham, the thing that's great about this, cause this is listeners, I swear to you, we did not talk about this beforehand because 
I absolutely am more or less on the same side as of Graham in, in the sense of I appreciate the divergent opinions. I think they're super, super necessary. The stuff that he has that, that, that we utterly disagree on and that I tear my hair over, I'm generally super glad for because I think it keeps keeps things vital. That being said, I rem- one of the things that stuck with me was when I was trying to corner you about a movie that – uh, that I thought that you basically had to admit was kind of terrible, but you wouldn't say it was a, you, you, your defense was no, I liked it. So it's a good movie. And that has haunted me for a long time <laughs> where I was like, no, that's what, just flat out wrong, but, Graham, you know, but, uh, but I, I will, I will still defend that. I think you can recognize that something is shit and still like it, and therefore it works for you. Yeah, but that's not, but that's again, like when you say with Suicide Squad, like I enjoyed it, but it's a piece of shit. I think that's great. I think there's tons of things in the world that are bad and terrible or not good or varying degrees of mediocre, but you enjoy them for whatever complex number of reasons. And I think that, I think to me, it's a mistake to turn around and call it something good just because I like okay. it. Similarly, I, I, I'm I, very... I would, okay, yeah. I would not stand behind that now. I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with your version, your definition of it. Oh, okay. Well, and by, I, by, yes. by saying that I enjoy something and saying that something is good, I guess what I'm saying is it is, it has value for me because I enjoy it. And I, I, I no, I'm trying, not trying to argue for objective value. Right. Okay, and I think I I and so the fact that you turned around and said that with Suicide Squad is I'm like okay, do I like say what I'm gonna say and just turn into like that cartoon where it's like my head is suddenly replaced by a jackass's head? So uh, should we move on to? Do you have Paul Spence next? I do. I do have Paul Spence next. Okay, uh, the first one is for you, so I'll read it. Yes, uh, Jeff, could you elaborate on your criticism of Platinum End? At the end of an earlier episode this year, I believe you said that it was a betrayal of Death Note. I would like to hear you expand on your comments. The team of Oba and Obata have produced great work in the past, but with Platinum End, it seems that Obata's art is carrying the show. Yes. Jeff? Uh, right. So I think that when I said that it was a betrayal of Death Note, one of the things that really struck me about Death Note, and I think it honestly, honest to God, holds up, is... The first chapter of Death Note, you know, you have uh, Ryuk, the demon, decide to cause mischief on the Earth by bringing his Death Note onto the plane of existence so that someone can find it. And uh, Light, whose last name I don't remember, a, uh, a high school student, ends up discovering the book and figuring out the rules. Now, for me, in those first 10 to 15 pages, I was like, okay. High school kid gets a book that gives him power over who lives and who dies. I know exactly where this is going to go. And I could not have been more wrong. Like within the course of maybe another 10 to 15 pages, uh, it, it, the fact that light, instead of going after the bully who tormented him or the evil step family who tortured him or the sadistic boyfriend of the girl that he secretly loves who doesn't know that he's alive. Instead, Light actually decides to start wiping out all crime on Earth and building a quote-unquote perfect society. And it becomes a monster in relatively short order and, and is more or less the villain 
really early on, and that is a stunner. By contrast, Platinum End has a series where a bunch of angels, um, well, actually, the very first start is a depressed kid who quietly leaves school with no one paying attention to him, goes to the top of a building, jumps, and instead of thinking thinking that he is in the afterlife before realizing he's actually been saved by his guardian angel, who uh, has chosen him as the person that she wants to compete for the position of God, and that there are 12 other angels or 11 other angels, each of whom have their own guardian angel, uh, each of whom have their own um, champion, champion, beneficiary, and that everyone has super special uh, powers, and they vary according to how high up the angel is. And I was like, oh, it goes exactly where you think that it would go from there. With Now, part of that is is that Oba and Obata, you're kind of like real early on. You're like, oh, this is pretty dark. I've read, you know, Bakuman where they talk about the dark manga and how to make those sorts of things work. But it just feels the way that everything in Death Note felt fresh, like calculated, but in really special ways and death note and platinum end to me feels calculated in the opposite of ways that feel very fresh. And additionally, some levels of it seem practically Bendis esque. One of the things that bothers me is, is that our main character to date, actually the chapter 10 just got released the other day and I read it before this podcast and is it's like 10 chapters in and you actually have the incredibly passive protagonist finally do something. And that's nine chapters in apart from one extreme thing that happens in like chapter two or three. And even then is sort of out of his hands. He's been ridiculously passive all the way along. And that itself is also something where even even in the course of Death Note, Light is so much in command of what he does, even though it's a supernatural situation and there's mm-hmm. supernatural influences. He is still at every point making his determinations of what he does. And uh, by contrast, Whiny Woo in Platinum End, whose name I sadly cannot remember, uh, is um, is pretty limp, uh, at least up until this chapter. So for me, I have found it. Uh, I, that's all the reasons why I think. Graham, did you have anything uh, you wanted to add or contrast? Well, I, I haven't read it, but I, I have a question, which mm-hmm. is, does it feel less fresh because you've had Bakuman in the middle? Like, because Bakuman is, to an extent, uh, here's how we did it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and does, so does that matter? Um, do, do, has that like has that pulled back the curtain too much? That because you've read them being very cynical about the creation of a comic, mm-hmm. that you recognize that cynicism in Platinum Age. I don't necessarily think so. I I appreciate the fact one of the things that's great about Bakuman running through about twenty volumes is. They have their creative team create several different type of manga. So they sort of pull back the curtain on a few different types and the formula for it. It's true that reading uh, between reading Bakuman and the absolutely fantastic, even a monkey can draw manga um, 
that I'm much more aware of the tropes in manga. And in a way, part of me is like, oh, this stuff is way more genre and way more formulaic than I thought when I was kind of dipping my toe in, in part because, you know, what what looked like an incredibly um, varied uh, types of storytelling and protagonists and uh, um, situations were, in fact, several different genres that were all being presented to me as kind of, which I took to be as almost one thing. So uh, I, I think I think the problem with Platinum End is that it, had maybe it will change up but but platinum end seems to me to be hilariously very much in it for the money and uh, to the point where even their that what they think is their dark take by more or less having all the people because at a certain point when the the angels start fighting what what the ultimate bad guy does is he more or less uh gets a hold of a set of I, I don't superhero armor, you know, basically in sort of a Power Rangers kind of ultimate cosplay type thing. And so to the outside world, it almost it looks like it's superheroes. But underneath sure, yeah. it's a completely different thing. And part of me is like, oh, that should be cool, but the way that it's handled in I don't know, then then we get to it, the level it's just of, it does seem very cynical. Like even you describing that just seems to me like oh uh, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really? yeah, yeah. And I mean there's nothing necessarily wrong with well ex- executed cynicism. There there are things that are I should say, there are things that are wrong with it, but in the hands of people who are masters, you don't necessarily know and or care, you know, and sometimes cynicism really allows people to the creators to look outside the work, sort of see cynically see what the audience's expectations are and be able to exploit and upend those expectations in a way that people are like, Oh my God, that's, that was terrific. But, uh, but yeah, not, not this time, unfortunately. So, and that's very much a shame. So to move from one end of the spectrum, uh, to the other, uh, Paul's next question is my favorite seventies Kirby is commandy. How would the whatnots rank commandy in relation to Kirby's other seventies era work? Uh, I'm going to go first for the heretical answer, which is it's probably my least favorite. Wow. Of Kirby's, uh, others. That's not true. It's, it's above something like devil dinosaur, mm-hmm. but of the DC stuff, uh-huh. it's, it's definitely my least favorite Kirby. Hmm. Um, and I think I probably like something like Eternals more than Commandy as well. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, there I, you go. I, I, like, it's great. I really enjoy it. There's a lot of stuff I do enjoy in it, mm-hmm. but I'm not as in love with, like, the basic concept of it. Right. Uh, it, it's more like all Kirby, especially 70s Kirby. The execution is just so wonderfully breathless. Yeah. You know, that he's like, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And you're like, okay, great. I get it. Right. Um, but the, like, I, I love the concept of Omak so much more. I love the concept of the loser so much more than you got so much more. Yeah. Even the Eternals so much more mm-hmm. than I do the Commandy concept. So yeah, it's actually pretty low down for me. I know that's not true for you. I know you love Commandy. Oh, I do. I do. Um, because, you know, it's such an interesting compare and contrast to me with OMAC is I feel like OMAC, which ran like 
eight issues or whatever, uh, is starts off with to me Kirby's maybe Kirby's strongest high concept idea, and in that first issue, maybe one of the best realizations of it ever, ever. The Kirby like Omak peaks with its first issue. Exactly, exactly, which is stunning. The more that you go, I go on to read those issues again, particularly when they rent out the entire city for crime on it. There's a lot of stuff where to me, a lot of Kirby Omak. So Omak is fabulous with that first issue, but yeah, it's almost like nothing can top it. And additionally, I keep waiting for Kirby. Some of the things that aren't necessarily his strong suit, uh, that really would have made Omak a next level book, which is a degree of thematic character continuity or progress in a way. Like there is so little progress being made about who Omak is and who Buddy Blank is that, that there's like one moment where Omak is assigned a new family, which I adore. And I'm like, Oh, this is a, this is going to go someplace. And of course, like, like the majority of Kirby stuff, it kind of really doesn't you yeah, know exactly well Omak especially is full of ideas other people really could do amazing things with and Kirby's like I am bored yeah it's been two pages uh-huh. I'm bored yeah and I mean so he he has he has his approaches to me part of why I really adore Kirby's commandy is it is at the opposite side of the spectrum it is such a dashed off idea I mean it is literally DC being like, hey, create something like those, like that Planet of the Apes movie. And Kirby sitting down and really taking, taking, taking something that's so paltry. And like you said, he takes the breathlessness of it, but also he really, it's the, it's the closest, it's more like a new, paste, like a newspaper strip in its breathlessness and characters come and go and then they come back. And, you know, it's not like Ben Boxer is any different, you know, from when he disappears at one point to when he shows back up. And in fact, there are times where Ben Boxer and his, his group, um, you know, disappear pretty haphazardly and then more or less reappear. Um, like it's almost something like right out of a children's story. You know, they're like in a boat, like doing something else and they come across commanding and they're like, Hey, and it's one of those things. What's great is, is that they're so kind of, um, indifferent to Kirby's, uh, commandy survival. They're like, Hey, commandy, look at you. How great. And that's pretty much it. It's like, ah, you know, we pretty much left you in the mouth of the fox monsters and we figured you were fucked, but holy shit, you're alive and you're amazing. It's more like, ah, want a sandwich? You know, so there's, there's a lot that I, it's the closest apart from new gods, the new stuff that Kirby's doing in new gods where Kirby comes, I think to, 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 to grabbing continuity and, and trying to, trying to, if not tell a larger story, at least kind of create a larger world. And what's amazing is, is I think, I think it's definitely that. I think it is the the world building more than the storytelling. Yeah. Well, the world building more than the story, because of course, for me, the storytelling's top notch in that panel to panel thing. So I just splitting hairs there to the extreme. So yeah, I, I totally get your sense of it. But like for me again, I don't know. I know that, 
as much as I love the drawing style of something like, say, the Demon, I would have to bump it below Commandy several. Oh, and no, see the the Demon. Uh, oh, I I've said this before. The Demon I enjoy in this whole other level, which is not intentional. Which is the Demon really is Venture Brothers before Venture Brothers, right? And it's not supposed to be, but the Demon is just fucking hilarious. Yes. Yeah, I I can see that. And to me, I'm like, meh, it's hard for me to to really commit to that level of like, oh, ha, ha, ha. so which is kind of a shame. Should we get to the third question by Mr. Spence? Sure. Yeah. Um, could the whatnots comment on Grant Morrison's metatextual masterpiece, Flex Mentello? The Flex Mentello beach tile brought the book to mind. I really love it. And I've read it three times so far this year. Perhaps I need to get a life. No! I also no, agree don't. with that. No, do not. Just read Flex Mentello more. Although, that being said, I've been kind of scared to sit down and read it. Like, I've got it oh, digitally it, oh, in the last couple so of years. Good. It is yeah. so good. And it is... I think I've said this before. There are certain books that, like I, ju- I do just reread on a, on a sort of yeah. semi-annual basis. Right. Uh, and Flex Mentello is one of them. Uh, I, I, I have a, I have a real, I, I am not any character in Flex Mentello at all. Mm-hmm. None, none of those people are me. Yes. But I have s- such an emotional closeness with that book mm-hmm. that it's as if one of them is there's something about that book in particular that has such an honesty and and, and truth to it mm-hmm. that I can't describe. It, it's 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 really it's it's such a good book to me. And it's such a uh, uh, an important book. I remember when Flex Mattel was coming out the first time, mm-hmm. and just it, it felt like a magical object. Mm-hmm. It felt like it had some sort of truth to it that, 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 you know, comics should not have, that art should not have. It mm-hmm. spoke to me on that deeper level mm-hmm. and still does years later. And I'm not the same person as I was 20 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I no, no, Flex Mattel is great. Dude, don't get a life. It's, a, it's an amazing book. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure Graham can remember because I was very dismissive uh, of his opinions. But when I was talking about Paul Denny's Dark Knight, uh, I revisited an argument um, that I had used with Scott McCloud's uh, The Sculptor, which is that I felt that they were graphic novels that were that fell pretty short by the standards of what we actually expect from real literature and and quote-unquote real novels um and i i thought that they were kind of ersatz and didn't work as hard in the ways that that the best literature has to do to convince and compel and also to work at you know to to make you believe in the world that you're looking at and also in the depth of what it's trying to say you know and so you get books like um uh, Asterios Polyp by David Mazzuchelli or, um, some of the books by, for me, Gilbert Hernandez and, and to a certain extent, Jaime Hernandez, where you're like, these are serious fucking novels, you know? And to me, I am gonna, I, you know, maybe I'll feel different in like five years. I kind of doubt it, but I think that Flex Mentallo is absolutely a graphic novel that holds up punches 
with the weight of the best novels. And I would say that mm-hmm. it is the best novel about superheroes ever written. I would pick it above Shaban's Adventures of Cavalier of Clay. I would pick it above um, Fortress of Solitude by Jonathan Lefemme. Uh I got to admit, I yeah. actually, you I, know. I, I feel it like it it deserves to be talked about in the same times as as Latham Man and Shaban because it it's trying to find a similar metatextual context for the superhero, but it's doing something really different. Like Morrison does not look at it with, from the distance that, that Latham and, and Shaban do. Yes. Morrison believes in the superhero for one of a better way of putting it. And I think genuinely believes what he says in Flex. Mm-hmm. I think that he really does think that the superhero will save us. I actually was rereading uh Multiversity this week. Mm-hmm. And and that's the point of multiversity. Multiversity is that the superhero, even as an abstract concept, is one of the most important things that humanity has ever done because it is such a utopian ideal and we need the utopian ideal in order to be better ourselves. Right. And I think that Flex is this, the first and also the purest way he's ever put this forward. I think so. I, I think part of what I enjoy about Flex is that it – it, because it 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 has all of Morrison's themes that he goes on to explore and talk about to varying degrees of um, I don't want to say lucidity, but just uh, plainly. But in Flex, it is both incredibly clear and yet kept very much at the. It's it's so um, it's so beautiful because it's the first time I really feel you get that thematic flowering. Um, it's just, it's just excellent. It just really mm-hmm. is excellent. Mm-hmm. So. It, it, it feels, it really does feel like the, the, cause it's a, it's a theme he's returned to constantly, mm-hmm. but it still feels like the best way he's ever done it. Yeah. I mean, there's various other ways that he's done it that I have a- absolutely enjoyed it, but I do, that there are times where I'm like, yeah, out of the books that should survive, you know, a hundred years from now, I pray to God Flex Mentello does survive because I think it, I think it deserves to be read. I think because you can actually look at it, Morrison really does deep dive into the eras of superhero and I don't know. It's just, I mean, it was, it was published as a corrective at the time and even, and sadly it still, that message is necessary. But even once you take that out, it's not all that's there. And I really appreciate that. So, yeah, really down with it. Uh, Paul, we like Flex. That's yes, what we're saying. Exactly. Andrew Bear asks, and I don't think he meant us to answer it, because he's like, which is your preferred question? Eh? Eh? Because, of course, when I posted on Patreon, and I say, of course, because some people actually didn't know this, and now I have to open it up. I was like, uh, I, I posted a picture of the Vic Sage question and... Um, the Rene Montoya question, and it, it was something like, you know, two questions for one, I think. So I, I, I'm really tempted to make the joke of like, it's the the Judas question or the 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 New Fifty Two question is mythical. That's a lie. It's Rene Montoya. That's my favorite question. Oh, really? I yeah. I think Vic Sage is my well. See, this is the problem: is Vic Sage to me is which one? See, and that's part of what I think is actually really uh, both problematic about 
it and the most interesting part of it. When R- Renee Montoya is, was such an interesting and established character in her own right that by the time she becomes the question, I find that it actually sort of diminishes Renee. I find it less interesting than who she is up to that point. Vic Sage, almost exactly the opposite problem. Depending on who you can see Vic Sage being, you know, he's, he's either, well, see, this is it. I was going to say, he's either a blowhard. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm thinking of Jack Ryder. Who's like the creeper. Who's by yeah. far a more interesting character than Vic Sage. I still like Vic Sage because, because the character is still inherently nobody, which matches the description of his, uh, the actual visual gimmick of his persona. And there's a lot that you can do with that. Mm-hmm. So, and okay. So, so you're sticking with Vic. I'm, I'm sticking with Vic. It seems like, it seems like Renee, no matter what you do, you're stuck trying to build Renee into it or out of it or however it works. Vic, you get the freedom of trying to create your own answer to the question. Uh, I like what you did there. Adam Neve <laughs> says, Oh, did you, you miss own- Rick Vance or no? I don't, uh, I, I had Adam before Rick. But... Okay. The, you go with that then. Okay. I just okay. want to make sure Rick was. Um, Rick. Adam Nave says you can only save one character to be brought back ever again. This is it. The one you don't choose can never be used in the story ever again. Metal Men or Metamorpho. Jeff. I love this question because it is such the naked time. Adam is so clearly setting us up to have a, an amazing knockdown fight. By making Watch it really sort of funny. winner take all. Okay, so who do you choose? I, I totally choose Metamorpho, and I'm ninety percent sure you were going to choose Metal Man. Honestly, my choice. Uh huh. I don't care. Oh, interesting, interesting. I've heard you make such a case for Metal Man and the very stakes. I'd, prob- I'd, prob- I'd probably choose Metamorpho if you put a gun to my head. Mm-hmm. But Metamorpho has been like outside of the Bob Haney Metamorpho. Yeah. I don't really give a shit. Right. No, I, I, I'm the same way. Honestly, like, again, I really like a lot of Metal Man stories, most of them written by Bob Haney. Right. But I, 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 would, be, I would also be completely fine with Metal Man never being used again either. Right. So, right. really, sure, I'm okay with either of these characters melting into the background because outside of very particular stories, mm-hmm. I, I don't have that much affection for them. I... I, you I'm know, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's fine. I actually was going to say that I don't have such affection for them either, but there was a point where basically we were asked this question. I went to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night still thinking about it and realized that I would kill to try and do a metamorpho story because uh, do a metamorpho series because i really do think that he is it's i like i like a metamorpho supporting cast more than i like metamorpho see hate hate to say it no 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 no. but that's the thing metamorpho that's why i'm saying like i want to do i would love to revisit and redo um the the bob haney take on it and just take from there but like to blow all of that out of what to to take it to do mo- sort of slightly more modern takes on it because it Haney really created a really dark dark take on the character and then infused it with just 
strange amounts of of lightness to it. And I would I would love to try and see someone try and hit that balance again. Honestly, there's part of me that's like, I think I'd be curious to see Karen Gillan do Metamorpho. And I'm I'm somewhat begrudging in, in that sort of uh, assignment. But honestly, Gillan has obvious. I think we were talking recently about camp. Um, and I think Gillan, who has a, a real strong control of camp, I, I hope would be able to skew Metamorpho into the lighter waters while even keeping track of the darkness at the heart of Mm -hmm. the conception of the character. Mm -hmm. What what's interesting for me is both of these strips are in legends of tomorrow, the anthology comic Mm. and both of them are honestly so poorly done in my opinion. Wow. Really? Like sure. Like if, if this is the alternative, I get this or I never see the characters again. I'm okay with never seeing the characters again. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, so there you have the answer, Adam. I was sure this was going to end up with one of us, you know, threatening to cut the other's throat. So, uh, Rick Vance asked, how is the subscription to, uh, Shonen Jump going, Jeff? Are you keeping up with it in the slightest? My second question is only if either of you have read My Hero Academia. It is a perfect fusion of superhero teens and Shonen action, and I think you would both enjoy it. It is in print and digital and probably easily obtained through libraries. Uh, in reverse order, I've never heard of My Hero Academia before this question. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Have you? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I want to say that Rick may have mentioned it before in either comments, in comments on Wait What, or maybe just on Twitter. Someone, a whatnot, did bring My Hero Academia to my attention, although it, it also gets spoken of well. I want to say David Brothers has also said good stuff about it. I've bought the first volume digitally, and then... Me being me, continued to buy many other volumes digitally. Say, so you haven't read it. Oh, like, if you bought it within the last, like, year, chances are you haven't read it. So brutal. So mean, Graham. You're no, just but so it's mean. true. Right? It doesn't matter. No one ever turns around and says, like, that's so mean. And people are like, oh, but it's totally made up. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't beat anyone up with imaginary <laughs> things. Like, oh, <laughs> your unicorn's an ugly color, Jeff. <laughs> you know? Like, your yes, Graham. beautiful. Okay. Anyone can back off. Jeff's unicorn is beautiful. (laughs) The great thing is I'm seeing my nieces tomorrow and I'll, I'll make it a point to ask them and see what they say. So, uh, I I think your unicorn is, is purple and yellow. Uh, and then unfortunately shown it. So I'll get there. I will get there, Rick. I swear I will get there to my hero academia. Shonen jump is one of those ridiculous things that I am 11 bajillion, um, yeah, I'm like three years behind and I'm like, I should stop. I should just unsubscribe to this. I'm like, it's only $10 a year, like for 52 comics. It's that are hundreds of pages. I'm like, but if you're, if you're that far behind, Jeff. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. Uh, well, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If that were me, I'd stop. Like I would just cut and run at one point. No, right. and I know that at some point I would catch up on it and be like, "Motherfucker, I wish I hadn't quit." Yeah, it's 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 hard. It's hard. It's hard with the the weekly stuff. I honestly, the problem for me with Shonen Jump is is just I'm a little too. I I think, and there are probably uh, people my age or older for whom this is not the case. But so it's wrong for me to blame it on the age. But I just feel like I've aged out of Shonen, for the most part. It's just very hard for me to care. Like, like I was reading Shonen Jump 
like a madman during cross manage. Like I, I really do as unsurprising for someone who sees me, you know, go on and on about something like my love story or high school debut. I really, I'm a little more interested in romance manga comics or, you know, go, go 13 or the insane Kazuo Koike stuff. I think, I think, for me, even if My Hero Academia, if I read it and I catch, part of me is like, eh, Shonen Academia. I'm I, I I'm so almost done with books set in schools, which really cuts me out of like ninety five percent of Viz's output, and that's fine. It's not necessarily intended for me, but part of me feels bad for not being able to to. You know, kind of man up and just be like, eh, read a hundred, you know, it's a hundred pages, skip over the stuff, you know, the stuff that, that's the guy, um, God, it's such a shame that I can't remember the name of the creator of One Piece right off the top of my head. He really is just a stunning, stunning draftsman. Uh, Ichiro Oda, he, he's phenomenal. He really, his stuff is, great it's well designed the pages are amazing it's so much fun and it's it's such a um it's so clearly in the tradition of akira toriyama's work which i adore in like doc dr slump uh and dragon ball sort of um which is so but somehow i just i just can't get there so it's it's kind of a shame um Sorry, Rick. I you if for what it's worth, I follow you on Twitter and seeing what you say about uh, manga. I always keep my it. It always intrigues me, and I always find myself thinking, well, maybe I should come back, but but I haven't yet. You will though. Like I feel like your your manga thing goes in waves, mm-hmm. and then then all of a sudden you you get the hunger again, and you're like that's what you read. Yeah, it's it's actually yeah. a pain in the ass that the Crunchyroll man, manga app has been fucked up. I don't know if they fixed it. I should try it again, but it wasn't working for me on the, on the iPad. And I actually emailed them and they're like, Oh yeah, it's a known issue. Just read it on the computer and look at our forums for announcements. And I'm like, you motherfuckers, like I'm paying you money every month for an app that doesn't work. Fuck you. But the fact is, is Crunchyroll 95% of the people are there for the anime and maybe, you know, and so people like me, there we're lucky that they care at all but i was going through a period there of in reading that because it had different types of manga frankly yeah. than than what was I, popping I, up in shonen jump yeah. so um yeah okay. i just yeah uh, uh where where are you jonathan sapsid i i've been kenneth graves but did, did... Jonathan, I don't think I have Jonathan, so you should ask. Okay, Jonathan Sapsids asks, my question is which, if any uh, industry awards, should we take notice of and why? Eisner's or Harvey's, Eagles or British Comic Awards? Uh, and and he's got a second I, question on top of that. I don't know the answer to that. I don't uh, either, yeah. I take notice of the ones you want to take notice of. I mean, do you... Uh, that feels like the sort of question that, um, weirdly enough, speaks to comics as a medium's desire to be legit that other mediums don't have. Like, I don't think you'd ever have people being like, which movie award should we pay attention to? No, I the, don't know. The Oscars? Or the, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, well, let's put it this way. People don't ask that, but I think that people have preferences. I know there's people who pay more attention to, like, the Golden Globes than the Oscars for various reasons. 
it's all of it all of it is alien to me. My honest answer is pay attention to the ones that validate your tastes more. Whereas for me, I would say I think there's nothing wrong with paying attention to all of them because honestly, you can see – well, it's true. But there's – you basically, you don't have to dive in deep. But I think sometimes if you see like one book taking awards across, you know, six different awards ceremonies, I'd be like – Okay, that's, you know, maybe I should pay attention to this Kate Beaton person, you know, uh, or whatever. Sure. I think, I think as a discovery engine, I think that it's, you know, if you don't have access to a good, strong comic shop with, you know, voice, people that you trust or you don't have a, assembled a list of people that you, Who's think whose tastes online you don't necessarily align with? I I think there's nothing wrong with looking at it and being like, oh, hmm, this Brubaker Phillips guys, I should check him out, you know. So, I, whereas for me, and this is this might be like weird hipsterism, mm-hmm. I feel that you can get those sort of recommendations sooner from other sources. Like if you looked at the Eisners, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Nomona won this year, and Nomona's what three years old now, two years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, this year's Eisner's had a lot of great work in it, and mm-hmm. a lot of great work was recognized. But I think you can find that sort of recognition, and I, I agree that the, the need for finding something outside your own taste is really important. Yeah. But I think, that, I think there are other places to get it. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I think, I think a few years ago, like maybe even five or ten years ago, I'd be more inclined to agree with you, Graham, because – because frankly, by the time things got to and won awards, there's that with that long of a leeway, they could have disappeared off the market by then. But yeah. I think one of the things that's kind of great about the comics industry now is is that, yeah, if it takes two or three years for you to hear about something and it shows well, it's, up, it's and it's still there. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, so that's my thing. Is is that way back when it didn't actually end up there so you know i i'm 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 pretty down i'm pretty down in that sense with yeah with the awards but i on the other hand i don't really i don't make it any sort of point to conscientiously follow them i just follow the websites and when the the winners are announced i I check it out because i'm yeah you go oh that's interesting yeah well you know i i think it's i would be lying if i said i paid particular amount of attention to any of the awards i think that's i think that's fair uh and then Jonathan also asks, uh, as an alternate question, which I will answer, what's the best, well, or we'll try, what's the best way into Hellboy and the Mignolaverse for the uninitiated, or is it worth bothering at this point now it's finished? Oh, I did see this, because that last part really, really upset me. <laughs> because, of course it's worth bothering with. Like, just because a work is finished doesn't mean that it's no longer valid. Like, that, that's ridiculous. Think of all the, the, the good works, the, the movies, the, the books, the, the comics that have finished the run, it doesn't make them invalid in any way. Of course you can get into that motherfucker. Um, my way in, personally, was the BPRD hardcover collections from Dark Horse. And myself, I have to say, I've never gotten into Hellboy and the Mignolaverse, uh, but as far as I can tell from looking online, I think BPRD is the way to go. It seems to be it, where a it, lot of it, people came into it. 
the hardcovers in particular are great because it takes because the pro one of the problems is and I, I think this is a legit problem there are so many fucking series mm-hmm. and and there's like you know here's you know the you know we're going to be doing four mini series they're not going to say which one comes first you know right. and they're going to be flashbacks and the hardcovers are literally a chronological collection of these mini series mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and so you get you get a, a chunk of story in each hardcover mm-hmm. and be you get it in some form of coherent order. Yeah. So by the time you finish the first hardcover, which is kind of a rough one to start with because it's before John Arcudi really gets going. Mm-hmm. Like it really gets good in the second hardcover. But the first one will give you enough of a basis of being like, oh, I'm interested in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, uh, I think it is worth getting involved in. I think, honestly, my interest is more in the Arcudi stuff than the Magnolia stuff. Hell by itself, I think it's beautiful looking, but uh, in terms of writing, is not really my thing. Uh, but I, th- I do think the BPRD stuff is great. But it, it took the hardcovers to to let me experience it in enough of a way that I got that, as opposed to just being frustrated. Yes. You yes. know, everyone keeps talking about Fl- Plague of Frogs. Is that the first one? Oh, it's the ninth one? Oh, shit. That's the first one. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're yeah. like, yeah, totally. fuck this shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, like, give me a number one. Yeah. Give me volume one and I'll start reading. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now that it's done, it's actually easier to do that. So I yeah, think that's, exactly. that's kind of yeah. good. So, uh, so then who did you, did you have I, the question? Steve H. Do you have Steve H's question or? Oh, you keep on asking all these questions. Um, I do not have Steve H. Okay, let me do it. Steve H is from where? I, I, I'm assuming from Patreon since there's actual two, two, two questions. Okay, I, yeah, I, I don't. My first one for Patreon is Kenneth Graves. Okay. Steve H, if it's not too late, I thought of two questions for you. Here goes. One. So, I feel like A-Force has fallen off a cliff, not coincidentally, right when G. Willow Wilson stopped co-writing it. Now I can finally stop buying it. The idea of an all-female team, which all too obviously only exists so you can have an all-female team, just seems very third grade to me. Very girls against the boys, ooh, cooties kind of thinking. It's not even the case that it somehow writes past wrongs that Marvel always had all-male teams. Not the FF, not the Avengers, not the X-Men, not the Defenders. Do you find anything wrong with this kind of shoehorned quote-unquote diversity? When the book was just plain good, I put up with it. But now that the no boys allowed sign on the clubhouse looks silly and halfway too offensive. Um, So I think there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Almost too much. Almost too much. uh, Um, Let's see. Shoehorned in diversity. Even if that was the case, which I'm not sure I agree with, no, that's fine. That's like, what's wrong with shoehorned in diversity? Fuck it, we need diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, and I, I honestly, I'd have more problems if it was like Black Avengers by two white dudes. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like Kelly Thompson and whoever the fuck is drawing A Force these days, because it's not Ben Caldwell anymore. Um, sure, great. Like, go to town and see if you can do- make something with the concept. Uh, A-Force never really came together for me as a book in general. I think the the concept... I've got nothing against the concept of it's an all-female team. Great. I had problems with the execution of the concept, even under G. Bill Wilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 
I'm, you know, I'm not amazingly sad that the title's over because it didn't really work for me. But if someone came back and they were like, I've got a great way to make Gay Force work, mm-hmm. more power to you. I, you know, for myself, one of the things that bothered me about A-Force, and I don't know if it's really true or not, but I think that the part where Steve says just seems very third grade to me, very girls against the boys, ooh, cooties kind of thinking. To me, the problem is with A-Force is just that it's the, it's, it seems like it's the boy's idea of what girls want in a comic. It doesn't I, seem like a women's comic to me, you know? Well, okay, so where do you stand in Birds of Prey then? Uh, Birds of Prey, I think, uh, is a really good, strong comic that did struck me as, um, because Birds of Prey was literally a male created, mm-hmm. uh, concept of an all female team yeah. that didn't have, didn't have a female creator until Gail Simone came on, which is what issue 60 something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm down with it. I'm okay with it. I, I, my thing is, is, and that it's one thing when it's three characters who have, have a reason to exist. Yeah. Have a reason to exist and sort of tangential ties. Like they're sort of the same. They're, they're kind of got the same levels of power variation in them. You know what I mean? It just, as, as a Batman spinoff, Black Canary is kind of a little bit of a gimme, you know, like you gotta be like, okay, all those brave and bold appearances, we gotta pretend count a lot more than they actually did. But it's fine. It's like, oh, okay. My A-Force just felt like Marvel being super cynical. And you're right. There's not anything that's necessarily wrong with that, but I found myself for me, just being like, uh, I I don't know. I didn't I didn't start in on any. It just it it felt very contrived. And like you said, there's times like something like Birds of Prey, which honestly there have been issues of that title that I loved and adored and dug and was glad that it existed in the world. Um, I just don't what? necessarily trust uh, Marvel. Marvel's come a long way with. Uh, with things, but honestly, for myself, I'm sort of like, I think that from, I don't know, cause I'm just me, a you know, pasty dude, but I'm like, I think women want women characters in all the books. And I think they want women creators across all their titles. It's the yeah. same thing that, that I think that I'm talking uh that that uh, you know to revisit a point that i said a couple of weeks ago it's i don't care i I don't mind if white guys write black characters i don't mind if uh guys write women books you know uh, books with women characters in it it bothers me that like g willow wilson is writing captain marvel and a force and has tremendous successes with her stuff. And people are like, okay, we're going to give you again, Spider-Man, which, you know, you'd have to pry it from Dan Slott's cold, dead hands. But that's what drives me crazy is, is that there's that, that the bridge of opportunity only goes in one direction. Did, did I tell you the, the priest story and how he ended up in Deathstroke? Uh, no. So priest got approached by DC mm-hmm. and DC said, Hey, do you want to do cyborg? And Priest said, I never knew that you guys wanted to work with me. And Dan Didio apparently was like, I'm a big fan. I never thought you'd want to work with DC. Mm-hmm. And he was, I'd love to work with DC. It's, it's a great job. I refuse to write Cyborg. Uh, give me a book that's not a black character. That's great. 
And they, apparently, to hear Didio say it, um, he went back to ed- the editors and was like, who's going to pick for Chris Priest? And everyone was like, you can have this character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I... It's, you know, it's a fun story, but the fact that it's a story is ridiculous. The fact that that is not a story from 1978 is ridiculous. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's embarrassing. It's, I also think it's to, uh, Didio's credit that he's willing to say, we went to Cyborg. Yeah. Cause that does just sound terrible. You know, yeah. that makes them sound really bad. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think like, it's, I totally believe that. Do you know what I mean? I totally believe the, it's our black book. We have to have a black writer. And it took priests to be like, no, give me a fucking character who's not black. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, th- what I, you were, I was thinking when you were talking about, like, you don't trust Marvel is the difference between A-Force and uh, Birds of Prey is that A-Force was explicitly marketed as it's the girl's book. Mm-hmm. And Birds of Prey has never been. Yeah. yeah. Birds of Prey has always been marketed as it's the Batman spinoff with Oracle in it and her friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It's ah, ah. anyway. It's hopefully that's enough of an answer because otherwise we could just. Uh, then Steve's next question is: Have you followed the news about Kickass Torrents? Uh, the owner got busted, and the site is down, possibly for good. Of all the industries affected by piracy, I feel like the death of Cat is heaviest in comics. You can download The Force Awakens or Life of Pablo anywhere, but this seems much less true of comics, especially catalog stuff. Maybe week to week, the new books will still be online, but sales of trades and collections could rise. Do you think there will be any noticeable impact? I know so little about that that I honestly don't think I could offer any comment. Yeah. I, I, I like, I don't torrent at all. Mm-hmm. I don't read pirate comics. Like, I, I have, I honestly could not say anything intelligent to that at all. Yeah. Me neither. I, I, I wish that I could, but the, the fact is, um, I can barely keep up with the comics that I'm paying for, much less the comics that I, I'm not paying for. I think I could throw on my old man, his, his speaking cap and talk about the, how much more music I literally was buying back when, uh, Audio Galaxy and Napster were around. Um, because that's that's kind of who I was I was it, to me it was like oh if I sample it I will go out and buy it but and I would think that there is a certain case to be made for that <laughs> honestly but but by the same token on I also there's part of me where I'm like you know what go to a library there's libraries don't cost anything libraries have graphic novels libraries and as i think actually someone uh asked when i was during our in the comments after us talking about the difference between um comicsology unlimited and hoopla they were like well how how much do comic book creators get paid for library copies and you know, they at least get paid for the initial one and there's a network and there's a series of, you know, uh, publications that review the books for librarians. And if you get into that network, you actually have, you get some payment up front and you can build a career there. So, uh, Well, I, I, as someone who moderates the first second panel at San Diego this year, mm-hmm. um, of the five-person panel, two of them were librarians. And the importance of librarians and libraries as 
uh, two creators mm-hmm. and, and to drive sales mm-hmm. was discussed. Yeah. So sure. I, I mean, you know me, I fucking love libraries. Um, but, but I think that the industry recognizes the importance of libraries. You know, and honestly, there are some people who, uh, you know, Steve Lieber had a very open embrace of Torrance, uh, when, with Underground, yeah. Yeah, Underground and, and did a tremendous job of, you know, that seemed to drive a lot of interest and, and legitimate support in the book. I think that's, I think that's terrific. So I can't speak about it in any knowledgeable way because for myself, I, I, you know, I just don't use that. I, I have, I have, I have yeah, other ways I, to get my I, fix. Yeah. I, I wish that I could say something about it, but honestly, I couldn't. Yeah. And, I, and I think that anything I did say would just be, uh, like, old man, you kids with your torrents and comics. Uh, <laughs> I, I, cause I don't, I don't know what effect it has in the marketplace either. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can look at something like the torrenting of Game of Thrones is, I would say that actually has driven, uh, HBO sales. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Honestly, I would be really suspicious if the torrenting of comics has driven sales. I mean, really suspicious. I think there is, and I think that, that he came close to, to trying to make this argument of, uh, a historical value because they're keeping stuff that is not in print available in circulation. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, part of me is like, sure, everything should stay in circulation, but also, if you're able to turn to, does that not mean it's less likely to get reprint because the demand's going to be lower? I, it really depends. Some people would say, I mean, because again, like you said, we don't know. There's a real important case to be made where there's a lot of people in America where it comes to manga, for example, who read scanlations uh, of and torrented stuff. Um, and, you know, there's torrent sites that insist or scanlation sites that insist that they pull down chapters when it actually, when a title actually becomes, gets, actually becomes available. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've, I've sometimes that's bullshit and sometimes it's not. So no, no, I, uh, you know, we did a wonderful job of spending a lot, lots of time saying punt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Kenneth Graves. Okay. What nearly forgotten gem would you like Dover or it's alive to reprint? Do I have to put this in some context? Do you know what Dover and it's alive are? I know what Dover is, I'm pretty sure, because it's the public domain, low-cost uh, publisher, right? And It's Alive is essentially IDW's new version of that. Oh, see, and IDW, I didn't know. IDW announced at San Diego this year that actually a former Dover editor is heading up a new imprint called It's Alive, which is going to be dedicated to bringing back into print stuff that has just disappeared. Uh, works by creators uh, and works by publishers who are no longer around and that people just don't know about and shoot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, what nearly forgotten gem would you like them to reprint, Jeff? Uh, for me, I you know, um, I deeply I I, I skimmed the surface by joining. The God is it the comic book museum or it's basically an online site that uh, keep that where people upload um, public domain comics and you can and then you can you know well, download them. It almost ties in with what we were just talking Indeed. about. Indeed, absolutely. And one of the things that's such a crazy sticky wicket is is that the stuff that was published by. Fox, which was a studio that I want to say that Eisner ran, 
maybe with oh sure way, way back yeah way sure. way 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 back when right and they were the guys who did stuff lots of, of you know had amazing reed crandall lou fine uh other people i'm totally fucking forgetting all those characters and the the um the library got bought by dc uh and published dribs and drabs of it in the hundred page giants and then for the most part have brought back the characters um every five years for to more or less be ignored i would absolutely adore for the original kid eternities to get reprinted despite the fact that dc despite the fact that dc owns the character the stories themselves apparently have lapsed into the public domain so no idea how you would market those but i adored reading those there was a couple of other stuff published by fox there god there was this ongoing sort of weird uh, weird. It wasn't that weird. It was uh, very much indebted to uh, Roy Crandall's Captain Easy. And it was some... It's like Swab and Deck or something like that. And they were sailors who got in adventures and basically wisecracked people while, you know, slugging pirates and engaging in um, witticisms against some really horrible racist stereotypes. Really fun stuff. Really, really a fun, fun read. Um so I think I think those are that's the strongest stuff for me for the public domain stuff that that comes to mind that I'm like oh man I would love to get that back in print. Also I know people remember me talking Daddy Cool which uh is the Alfredo Alcala adaptation of an Iceberg Slim novel is uh, amazing and I I wish that that would get back into print cuz that was just a a real stunner. That um, that sounds like something that could end up at mm-hmm. its. Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's a, it's a name creator and a name property. Yeah, yeah. So and and you know they would have. I don't know who who owns the rights or how they would go about getting that. But yeah, like you said, it could happen. That was uh, an amazing read. Um, I mean, you can still get cheap copies out there if you want to hunt around. But I, I think a new copy with new appreciations would be fabulous. Um, I, I have three that are much more recent, hmm. uh, like within my lifetime more recent. Uh-huh. Uh, one, uh, Captain Victory, Kirby's Captain Victory, mm-hmm. which I feel like genuinely has sort of disappeared. Right. I, I, I'm really surprised that no one has tried to, to reprint those comics. Um, two, Philippon's Wired World. Mm-hmm. And I know that many people have tried to get Wired World reprinted, and it's it's just never come together for for various reasons. Hmm. And three, even later than Wired World, Ilya, aka Ed, Ed Hillier, hmm. uh, who did a bunch of work for just uh, uh, for lots of people, he was, he was on the British small press scene for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a series called Skid Marks, which was reprinted. Uh, it came out from maybe even Image. Uh, about 10 years ago, he did a follow-on series that came out around the turn of the century called The End of the Century Club. Mm-hmm. That was three graphic novels, and they have all disappeared Wow! in print. And it's wonderful, wonderful slice of life. Uh, it's the closest Britain has genuinely managed to come up with 11 Rockets. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and it's just gone, and no one knows about it. Hmm. And it's just... it's. Very dated. I will say that right now because it is end of the century, like, you know, millennial fever way back when. Um, 
but it's great, great stuff. And for all the talk about, you know, diversity in comics that you have now, like, mm-hmm. Ilya was doing it quietly and just, you know, literally, this is what people are like, you know, 20 years ago. And, and no one blinked because that's just, that's what you were doing in comics back then. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you were just doing slice of life stuff with people who you met in real life. And if they happen to be queer, great. If they happen to be, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. then then that's fine. That's just what life is. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that if it came out today, people would be like, I can't believe this comic's 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that stuff would come back into print. Mm-hmm. Oh, since you mentioned Captain Victory, I will mention when I was up in Portland, I I sort of – I was very atypical in my habits as I was telling Graham. And the closest I really came to going and hitting the comic book stores and hanging out was I essentially made – I decided like, okay, I'll call around and see if I can get what back issues of Destroyer Duck I can get. Because I always have kick, been kicking myself for like 20 years for not buying it when it was coming out and I could have and did not. And Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby doing a satirical comic together for like eight issues or whatever insane concept like that. I wish that stuff was being reprinted somewhere. I, cause, cause honestly, Portland has an amazing, amazing constellation of comic book stores. And I was only able to find two issues. So, um, so let me throw that in there. And then uh, Kenneth A. Graves asks, which incomplete 80s masterpiece should get revived and finished? I, I really don't know. Like, I, I, 80s in particular throws me for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, it's hard for me. I feel like there's a – because maybe he picked 80s because I feel like there was a couple. Like, I I don't know. Part of me is I'm – there's ways where I'm, I'm kind of – more often than not, I'm usually sad when – uh, things are revived and quote unquote finished and someone comes back to it like, you know, 30 or 40 years later. I, I end up adoring the Hunger Dogs by Kirby. And even then, part of what I adore about it is how much stuff he loaded into the subtext of his graphic novel. I don't think it was necessarily a, um, the wrap up that he originally intended up, but I adore the fact that he sat down and is like, okay, this is here who I am now. And this is what I think now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very hard for me in that sense to be like, without knowing, you know, part of me is like, yeah, let's get Robert Lauren Fleming and uh, Trevor Von Eden to do thriller again. You know, part of me is like, I can't even imagine how or what would yeah, come but, out but of that, if, you know? But if you could get, like, those guys from that era, like, my first response was, if you could get the Howard Chaykin who started American Flag to finish American Flag. Right. But I have absolutely no interest in seeing today's Howard Chaykin finish American Flag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think um, – so Stephen Prince, is that your next – Yeah, that's my next. Yay. Uh, do you want me to read it? Because I think you – Sure. On you go. Okay, I always read the long ones, though. Love the podcast, but I'm a bit behind because I had a newborn at home, and every time I try to listen, he starts screaming. Is it Jeff? Yes. Is it Graham? It is me. No. Yeah, no, it totally <laughs> is me. Or is he just trying to assert his dominance? Maybe. That's what Ernie and Gus Gus are doing. Uh, I don't know, but I hope to catch up soon. In any case, questions. I recently reread the entire Metabaron saga by Yordorowski and Jimenez. Do comics get any more awesome? Is there any you can think of? Uh, 
I don't. Uh, that's kind of. It depends on what you like Meta Barons for. Yeah, it's uh, Meta Barons is such a particular flavor that yeah. I'm like, if that's your definition of awesome, then sure. Yeah, right. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to approach that. Do comics get any more awesome? I would argue, yeah. Like Meta Barons is 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 fine, but it's not one of my favorites. So, so sure. But I think it's because. What Meta Barons does really well is not something that I'm particularly looking for. So, yeah, yeah for, I don't know how to answer that question. For myself, I think the other thing is, is I'm kind of like, it sounds weird because Meta Barons is so ridiculously specific. It's like, uh, it's like if you said that you really like this flavor of like pistachio ice cream and you're like, is there any kind of, is there anything that matches this? And there's, there's ways that you start breaking, trying to break down that question. It's like, do you like it because it's ice cream or do you like it because it's nut colored or do you like it because of the color? You know, so yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. couple of different ways. Like I was kind of like, depending on what you liked about it. Yeah. Part of me is like, yeah, try, you know, try Kirby's new gods. Try, um, it's, uh, it's funny. I, I honestly was like, try strontium dog. Oh, try that's like so funny. Early strontium dog. Interesting. Interesting. I, 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 you know, I was going to, I would say, I would say Nemesis the Warlock. If I had to pick a yeah, no, 2000 sure. AD yeah. comic. Yeah, that, I can see that too. Yeah. So, you know, but again, it's kind of like we're trying to, we're, we're trying to reverse engineer it. So part of exactly. me is like. It's, it's the old, like, try, you know, four blind guys trying to explain an elephant. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. And it was kind of like, well, if you like the ear, try this. So I thought of Jim Starlin's uh, Metamorphosis Odyssey, and actually all of his stuff, but honestly, Metamorphosis Odyssey might really uh, resonate with you. Or it's you true. Might... If, if you like the sort of cosmicness of, of yeah. Metabar, then, yeah. I, then I think, like, especially 70s and 80s Starlin could, mm -hmm. could be your jam. Yeah, 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 exactly. Unless Unless part of what you like about it is the weird sort of cyclical coldness of it and then we're just going down another rabbit hole so anyway uh two can i get a shout out for my comic monster matador yeah, yes yes yeah and in fact i just bought a copy of comiXology uh this afternoon but i haven't read well he it. did say that issue will be in comiXology soon yes but he's there are several issues that are up so for those of us behind on the monster matador train i just picked up issue one which is 99 cents a comiXology submit so why not Tomas uh, Sirstud Rude is that? Do you think that is that? I I think that that's better than I would do. He asks number one, what do you think DC has to do to make a new Legion of Superheroes comic work? Oh man, this keeps coming up. The Legion I of think Superheroes, yeah. If you could answer that question, DC Comics would employ you. I have, I have, I have. I'm going to try. I'm going to okay. try. I didn't get into my metamorpho stuff, I, so I, I I know what I'd want to do with the Legion of Superheroes, but I'm not necessarily sure that would make it work. See, and this is my worry is is that my idea is more or less just lifted on what you and I have talked about before. So I apologize if I'm re repeating it for everyone. But first off, give the Legion another three years off the market, maybe maybe a little more, so that people have finally kind of put it aside the new 52 stuff just ended so recently and that just followed on the heels so badly of, yeah and and even i think when it came back and 
excuse me, after a long time, people were very amped about the Wade Kitson version and then the sort of Meltzer John version that completely cut it off at the knees. Like there was some crazy fuckery going on there. I, I think that if you leave the Legion alone for a couple of years, I think this actually about most properties that, that continue to do poorly in the market is let them go away. Let people build up that nostalgia for them again, bring them back and, and people will give it a shot. That being said, what you should do is I think Legion of Superheroes uh, first year should be a contemporary comic set in modern times in which um, various men and women, young men and women, millennials are approached by a mysterious, the brand corporation and are given these special rings that uh, heighten and awaken their latent metagenetic powers. And they are brought together as a legion of superheroes to save parts of the earth and protect people. And it's sort of like a, and maybe there's an additional edge of it. Like it's almost like the volunteer corps where it helps pay off your student loans or keep you out of debt or keep you on the edge of things. And all these characters, almost something like Unfollow, or you've got a, a widespread of diversity, and there's a lot of interplay. You you start introducing like the romantic subplots, you, the jockeying for position. People are actually really well thought out and interesting and recognizable. And then uh, at the end of the first year, you of course find out this is my theory that the brand corporation is being run by four members of the, the easiest way to say this. And it might be the most boring way is it's being run by four members of the original Legion of superheroes, the original founding members of the Legion of superheroes. And they are recruiting these people to, um, you think that what they're doing, even what they think that they're doing is, is that they are trying to, create the future that was going to allow them to exist. But what they do not realize is that, and you, and so you start, they start, you start having those characters from the original Legion start interacting with the new Legion that you've created. Um, but it's still sort of set in the present day. And then either by the end of the second year or third year, if it's caught on, you then basically end up having to yank all those characters into the future. Um, and then you can start bringing up all the, the reintroduction of interlac and all the Federation stuff. Um, that, that would be how I would do it. Start it, start it modern day, make it really viable, make it, make it, make it very millennial driven, which I think that we've talked about before. Uh, make it what? about the kids. What I love about that is I think that's a really interesting book, and I think that's not anything that I want from Legion of Superheroes comic. We'll see, but I would like the idea that it would move toward being the Legion of Superheroes comic that you would want. By, I, like, year it, two it, it or would, year it three. Would take, yeah, that would be far, far too late. I want the future from the Legion of Superheroes comic. I want the interlag. I want all the weird planets, and I just want – you know what I want? I want fucking Archie in space. Yeah. And I – I would give it to mm -hmm. uh, Adam Nave because he, he and I are on the same page about that shit. Right. Uh, I'd give it to John Allison. I'd give it to Hannah Blumenreich. And I'd basically let the three of them write it. Hmm. 
and then swap characters because you got like fucking 72 million fucking legionnaires um and i I would just i'd make it an ensemble book ensemble creators ensemble team and i had but i would make archie in space and by the way they have superpowers i I, that's what i want from the legion yeah, I see. That's so funny. I'm like, I went to such great lengths to try and preserve the the teen soap opera aspect. Um, but but uh, but doing it in the, honestly, you're coming up with the like a spinoff for me. You're coming up with like Legion Corps, which is a super interesting idea and has a lot of potential, but it's not Legion of Superheroes. For yeah, me. Well, like it's just it's just outright mm-hmm. not like even if you then take them into the future. In year three, first of all, it's not going to get to year three because have you seen the modern comics market? And two, it's it's then a different book because it's then kids from today are in the future, mm-hmm. and then the future becomes uh, a textual gimmick instead of a meta textual gimmick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for Legion to be Legion for me, the future has to be a meta textual gimmick. It should be. The Flintstones, but in reverse, or the Jetsons. That's what the Flintstones is in reverse. There you it's go. Jetsons. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's what I need from a Legion comic. So it's, it's really interesting because you're talking and I'm like, all of this sounds interesting, but it's not a Legion comic, Jeff. Yeah. Well, but I think my problem is, is that what you I You trust the Legion comics that no one buys. Them. Well, see, that's it. That is really my thing is, is I don't think people are really into what I want to do is try and figure out a way that you can, Basically, to, to do uh to do the all new X Men instead of the uncanny X Men, you know what I mean? Like I I want to take that sure, but, but figure out that way to make that next jump. But for me, you're taking away so much that it's not even all new X Men. You're going from like the original X Men to X Force. Eh, maybe, yeah, maybe you I know, can see that. That, sure. that that's too much of a thematic jump, right? Uh, I just, I, to me, there's just way too much baggage with the Legion. And of course I know that the baggage is part of what people love. I would rather start out with like smaller, small ish shout outs, you know, I, I don't know. I even, so anyway, fair enough. Uh, and question two, uh, will Marvel be able to continue a successful comic about Kamala Khan when G Willow Wilson eventually leaves? No. Moving on. Okay. That was it. Was no, that, okay. Yeah. Do, do you think they can? Because I don't I, think they can. No, I don't I, think so. I, I, I don't think they can. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it, but I don't you, – you've actually been reading the book. Uh, you know, uh, and, I, I think it is so – unless they go for – which they won't. Unless they go for a new writer mm-hmm. who brings the honesty of the character that Willow does. Mm-hmm. Then no, and and I think when you look at what Marvel's done with Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. you can see the model of what they probably will end up doing, mm-hmm. which is just oh, let's give it to so and so. They'll they'll be good. They've got an audience, and I think that Captain Marvel has been Captain Marvel hasn't even under uh, Kelly Sue was never the strongest book for mm-hmm. all the following it had. It was never a really strong book, but. Uh, under uh, Tyra Butters and Michelle Fizikas, is that her name? Um, it was. It just feels like it was in a, a conceptual tailspin, and that they left after five issues, so that someone else could do a Civil War two crossover, so that it could then be relaunched again with a whole new concept. Just 
speaks to me like, you know, they're like, we've got the movie coming up, but we have no fucking idea how to make this character work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think, and it's a shame because I actually think that there's a lot about Kamala Khan that could work really well. Uh, honestly, it doesn't necessarily, but I just get the sense that Marvel does not. And I, I also want to say, I don't think it's just Kamala Khan. I think if Bendis ever leaves Miles Morales, then Miles Morales is, is in equal trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's particular characters that have particular voices attached. Right. Hmm. Also, I think when my, uh, Bendis leaves Miles Morales, uh, he is, his days are numbered. I uh, think which one? Morales or Bendis? Morales. Morales. Okay. I think we're so close to Miles making the ultimate sacrifice so that Peter can be the one true Spider-Man again. Hmm. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we could go to Tim Reifenberg or we can go to Martin Gray. Who do you want to go to? Oh, uh, what about Jason Hopkins or Devin King? Did you not? Uh, they, again, they came in after for me. But... Oh, really? Huh. Interesting. Okay. Maybe I've been pulling them in the wrong way or wrong direction. Uh, let's go with Tim Reifenberg. Okay. Hey, guys, he says, thanks for the opportunity to ask questions. You're welcome, Tim. I have recently been buying on the cheap a bunch of the DC Anniversary compilation books that have come out in the last year or so. Every time I see the stories or parts of the stories that are picked, I'm astounded on what they pick for a celebration book. If you were asked which character or title would you like to put together a compilation for, and what are some of the stories you would pick? He then says, this might be a question better suited for a written post if you were so inclined. I think it kind of is, to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the great Uh, thing is is we're doing – since this will probably be going across again two episodes, let me think about that more. That's one that needs some thought, and I'll either write about it or I'll have something a little more prepped. I'm going to give a bit more background, though. He's talking about the uh, Superman, a celebration of 75 years, Batman, a celebration of 75 years, hardcovers, which genuinely do have some wacky choices in there. Really, really tough. I I have to say, I thought the... I want to say the Batman one I thought was relatively solid. There was a few things where I found it annoying, but also kind of understandable, I suppose. It's, it's simultaneously trying to give a historical review and fan service, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, the Lois Lane one is actually pretty good, but the I think one of the problems is people go into expecting them to be best-ofs. And they're definitely not best of books. Yeah, well, right. Whereas I thought, I thought the Batman had some, I don't know. I remember being pretty nonplussed by the Joker and Superman ones and liking the, the Batman Superman and one the Lois is, Lane ones. The Superman one is just terrible. Yeah, it's Superman just one is genuinely like, what's, what's a story that's, you know, part, uh, part of another trade that we want to sell? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's actually what it is. And, oh, you know, and, and Batman one kind of is as well. Well, I guess maybe. I don't know. I, I'd have to go grab it. But I mean, apart from the fact where the recent stuff is really kind of gallingly recent, I was like, eh, the, you know, because they had some of the various it's, other it's stuff. Not terrible, but yeah, the Superman one is a bad is a bad collection, and the Joker one is too. The Joker one is is, is kind of uh, lacking, shall we say? Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I think, especially with that one, in a way, but. Uh, uh yes. yeah, we we might we might do a written post about this. We might collaborate on a written post Ooh, about this. Jeff, you and I have never done that. I don't think I don't think we have. Yeah, hmm, yeah. maybe we should try that. Break open the old Google Duck. 
Question uh, two. My other question is if Bob Haney was alive in his prime writing comics, which Marvel character or title would you have liked to have seen him put his Haney spin on? Iron Fist. Wow. Really? Huh. Yep. Interesting. Any reason why it's particularly? Bob Haney doing Iron Fist would A, be almost definitely racially insensitive and offensive. <laughs> Gosh, crap. Uh, but B, I think, weirdly, he'd bring out the, um, I think he'd make him more like a Teen Titan. Mm-hmm. I think he'd bring out the youth of Danny Rand more. Yeah. And bring out the stranger in a strange land when he comes back to, to New York more. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have to say. I think it could be hilariously offensive. I, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, I'd be like someone, someone, like uh, there'd be like six Iron Fist books on the stand. Iron Fist would, would like I would, I mean, and they'd all be two ninety nine or something. But I have so many different ideas I'd love to see on Iron Fist, and yeah, actually, that you make a good case for it. Like I'm a little worried about the racial insensitivity, but yeah, the youth is a good one. I was, I need to figure out a second idea because my first idea is literally just, uh. American, like American team up and every month it's Captain America teaming up with a different uh, Marvel superhero. Cause basically I feel like the sort of strange oh, hip piousness of Bob Haney's Batman. Jeff, Jeff, yep. cloak and dagger. Oh my God. Oh, Bob wow. cloak and dagger would be the greatest comic ever made. That would be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be, there, that would be great. Because it is that sort of you got to get something where, but I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing about Haney is, I, yeah, maybe I think I think that would be good. I I I don't know. I dig I dig his it stuff. Totally half his his because midway through his Brave and Bold, he tried to get socially relevant. So yes, socially relevant. I, I, you mean right? And, I, and so like you know, Cloak and Dagger would be right in there. Yes. No. 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 I told once you said it, I'm like, oh god, I totally see how that would go. Complete with. Uh, yeah, just out of touch jargon, and it, it would be truly, truly amazing. Do you want to skag on the horse? <laughs> be like, I don't know what this is. He's making up his own drug terminology, but I'm loving it. Yeah, that that would be great. Also, let's face it, uh, he'd be he'd just do a great Wolverine. He would do a great Wolverine because I, I I didn't go for Wolverine with the big name. I honestly thought Iron Man. I'd be really curious to read his, his specifically his Tony Stark. Oh really? Huh. Interesting. I I think I think Tony Stark would be actually I think he could do a he would do a pretty interesting Iron Man. He'd do it it would feel it would feel the most like honestly seventies Iron Man as yeah. you can get. You know what I mean? Like like I'm like, yeah, honestly seventies Iron Man as written by most of the Marvel crew was not that far from a Bob Haney book as it was. So I don't know. Probably like, yes, I, I, would, no. I would be okay with that. <laughs> I, I think I'd be down. I'd be down with Wolverine more specifically because I think if there was a character, like when you look at when Chris Claremont launched the Wolverine spinoff title. Uh, oh God. Yeah. That like that there was, there are Haney-esque touches about that. Yeah, exactly. Like, Haney, like the magic stuff. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly. almost Haney-esque. Exactly. You'd give it to Haney. He's like, I totally know what to do here. And it would go, it would go crazy. It would, you know, it, it, if we're, if we're fucking with the history of comic books, mm-hmm. uh, I would, I would genuinely be interested to see Haney and his prime on the, on the old different X-Men. 
Hmm. Hmm. That that would be that would be really interesting to me. Yeah. Because it, because his, his Teen Titans is is wacky as shit. But if you look beyond the the stuff that we love, like the, you know the 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 terrible hip lingo that yeah. only existed in his brain, right? Um, the, the what he does with character dynamics is super interesting, mm-hmm. and seeing it like the idea of him trying to do that for X Men, especially that era of X Men when you have Sorm and she just come over from Africa and Colossus and he's just come over from Russia and Nightcrawler and he's just come over from Germany. I I would have loved that. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. So funny when you said all new, all different X Men. I thought you actually meant the current incarnation. Like, yeah. no, and, no, 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 no. I, I meant like the the Len Wein slash Chris Claremont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be interesting. I weirdly enough, I'm like, wow, there is a weird link with Claremont and Haney that I'm like is is worth re-exploring at some point for sure. I, I think honestly, if you had to give him one of today's books, because here's the thing, I'm like, Oh yeah, all new, all different X-Men as it exists now. You mean the, the, the teen kids? Uh, I just mean like whatever the like, Oh, here's Magneto leading a bunch of terrorists, uh, book. I'm like, that's uncanny X-Men. Oh, is that uncanny? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, cause there's, there's all new X-Men, extraordinary X-Men. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, whichever, whichever one the Magneto and the, and the teen terrorist book is teen terrorists, uh, because (laughs) teen terrorists. Yeah, exactly. He'd probably want to change the title to that. And, uh, I, I think, I think Haney would be, Terrorists would be great. Oh my god, that would be what Bob Haney would call it. Magneto and the Teen Terrorists, a Bob Haney joint. That would be perfect. (laughs) And it would be, because he really does, it's amazing how much juice he gets and gives. It's a ridiculous concept, but the Super Sons are awesome because of the degree of Haney is in no way afraid of generational conflict in a way. Oh no, Haney commits to that shit. Exactly. And that's kind of what you need for the X-Men these days. It sounds like. So yeah, he, I think, I think you'd mix that up. People would be talking about that Magneto and the teen terrorists book. Boy, Marvel would not have the balls to publish that title. That's the thing that's really sad. I don't think any comic book publisher in the 21st century would call something teen terrorists, but except maybe Black Mask and they were just. I was going to say like image, like there's your image pitch right there. It's true. It totally is true. (laughs) Actually, it'd be great. I could probably approach Rob Liefeld and he'd be like, oh yeah, Magnero. I've got a quite, I've got a character that I've called Magnero that I've designed. Look, it's a bucket. But it's facing up. And it's like, oh, yeah, so you can see the top of it. It kind of looks like Kilroy. Exactly, Jeff. And I want you to bring this vision to life. (laughs) Here's the thing. I feel weirdly protective of Rob Liefeld right now. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it! I think, I think I think it's a solid, solid imitation. Jason Hopkins. Did you have Jason Hopkins in in the pool? Uh, I do. Yeah, he's he's nuts for me. Okay. Uh, who would you consider your dream creative team on Fantastic Four if it came back today? And what characters would you like to see in the supporting cast? Uh, creative te- dream creative team is Al Ewing and I don't know who I want to draw Fantastic Four. Ladron. Okay. Pascal he's who, Ferry, I, he's who I picked from. He's he's who I picked for Al, Al Ewing. Do you want to hear my list of creative teams? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I do. Because I was like spitballing. I'm like, okay, okay. 
Get, okay. Take take the FF off, and, and and then any of these guys coming in and doing a year, like three years from now, uh, Al Ewing and Ladron, or Brandon Graham writing and James Stucco drawing, or Darwin Cook writing and drawing from Beyond the Grave, or, and this seems a little more likely that Marvel could get this, Matt Kent writing and Nick Bradshaw drawing, or Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis doing a year on it, or Grant Morrison and Doug Monke doing a year on it, or get Mike Magnolia to write and draw it for six months. What is funny is there's so many of those I'm like, no. Really? Like who? Yeah, Magnolia, no. See, I think uh, Loeb and uh, McGinnis, no. Really? Oh, uh, Graham? Uh, Graham and Stokoe, no. What? Uh, Kent and who did you have with Kent? Nick Bradshaw. Yeah, no. <laughs> so basically you're saying all of them suck except Al Ewing and maybe you're not willing to write off Grant Morrison to Doug Monkey out of hand. Oh yeah, also no. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so brutal, Graham. Jesus. <laughs> what characters would you like to see in the Sportacast, Jay? People what? tune into the <laughs> Baxter building once a month on the Wait What Podcast Network. <laughs> Come on, creative uh, characters and supporting cast. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, why Wingfoots? Why fucking Wingfoots? Yeah, White Wingfoots. Uh, Alicia, Alicia Masters. Those would be my my top two, frankly. Uh, yeah, honestly, beyond that, uh, I I don't know. You know, I I uh, okay. I well, it depends on what you want to do. I would be like, sure, but whatever the, whatever happened to Frankie Ray? I would I would bring Frankie Ray oh. back. Don't, don't ask that question. Is it bad? Is it really bad? Uh, it got so fucking convoluted mm-hmm. that uh, Catherine Eminen did a five-issue miniseries that was meant to basically reboot Frankie Ray. Oh, that's a huge that mistake. was, uh, like, if anything, overly complicated. See, even I, more. Was about, I was about to say, I like Catherine Eminent's writing a lot. She's not the person that you get to clarify anything. Yeah, it's 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 astounding. It's, it's a good series. It's called Herald. It's it's uh, Tonky Zonjik does the art. Ooh, um, I should look right? that up it, on you. Oh, it's, it's yeah, on. It's on. Limited, on yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, for a uh, for a uh, like, let's try and simplify Frankie Ray. Yeah, that that's not simplification at all. I mean, her her solution is basically: what if there's a clone, and what if the clone kind of has her memories and superpowers, but kind of doesn't? Oh yeah, that's a mistake. Yeah, no, I so Frankie Ray. I'm also big with. I'm down with Thundra. I'm really into Thundra. I think she's. I think she's great. There's there's where you do the fucking uh, Marvel females only team. Oh, the you Fantastic have- Four. Maybe. No, but you, no, not even if that's for it, but like you fucking bring Thundra in and Thundra puts together a team. I feel like, didn't they do that? I feel like they did something like it's, that. It's really, the... It feels really familiar, but I can't think when they did it. Yeah, it's, I want to say it's something that, that around the time Parker was on the Hulk books or something. I swear oh, to God. Oh, that sounds really familiar. Yeah. yeah I think, you're right. I think Parker might have done it. Yeah. Actually, Parker. I'd put Parker on the team in a second. No. I'm just okay. doing a big contrary. I think no, 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 that, no that was fine. just bitterness. I'm at Graham. <laughs> let's let's not make let's not oh, run this like Parker, a real comic book Parker, company for God's sakes. Parker, What's that? And oh, huh. Interesting. Wait, what? You wouldn't do Parker and Shaner? Because now that I think about it, 
Oh, uh, Parker and Schindler would be great, but no, I'd put Parker and Schindler. Eminem. Oh, okay. I think I think what I put Thunder in there. I would, you know, what I would do? I would uh, I would bring back Aunt Petunia from John Burns' run, and I would have Johnny Storm start dating her. I think oh, that would be that would be great. I, I think that would be a much better way to kind of uh, sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, that would be great. That would be yeah. Yeah, I'd be into that. Okay, so Jeff Leister is not one of my... my... <laughs> Just that one little hook, you're like, Jeff, you're in. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, exactly. Jeff, Kai, who could... Rob Liefeld is going to team up with Jeff. <laughs> it's going to be great, you guys. That would be terrific. Um, I, I'm going to Mark, Mark Grena from Twitter. Uh, what character can you not stand? He says, mine is Honorable Murderer Deathstroke. The Punisher. I fucking can't stand the Punisher. Ah, uh, I love Pun- I, I've... I have no sympathy for the Punisher whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I find the Punisher just, uh, uh, I find him an amazingly one note character. And every time someone is like, no, there's two notes. The second note is almost always, he's a wounded man. He's got to kill. And it's like, fuck you. That's the same one note. It totally is. It totally is. But I love that character. Yeah. No, that character is awesome. Okay. Uh, so can you not stand? You know, I was thinking about this. There's probably a lot of them over the years that I've just ignored because I just, you know, I don't know. Exactly, yeah. There's too many. I have to tell you a character that I've just never liked, even when you had him drawn so that he was fucking James Dean, which made up for a little bit of it, is uh, Polaris. No, that's not right. Havoc. Havoc. Yeah, Havoc. Um, Scott Summers' brother. I yeah, hate Alex that Summers. dude. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> I Fuck that, that guy. What? Seriously. What? Really What's really funny is this is not a character I can't stand, but a character I have just no affinity to, and your brain will explode. Ghost Rider. <gasps> You're never dead go- to me, Graham. Never, you are dead never, to me. Oh, never, my God. Only time I've ever genuinely enjoyed Ghost Rider is in the fucking Champions. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you know, I've been rereading those Champion issues, and uh, that's... They're that not good. You know, it depends on what your definition of not good is. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they're enjoyable, but they're not good. Again, we're yes. getting back to what we're No, okay. Before. In that case, I will concede the point. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. They That's, are terrible, but they're enjoyable. For, I'm not even really fine. What's that? The champions. I've told you before the Champions was initially an entirely different book that was a much better idea. Yeah. Yeah, you told me that. You told me that. I'm sort of like, I'm not sure how much of a better idea it was, but let's face it. I mean, it couldn't have been any worse. So the idea, that. listeners, so that Jeff and I don't talk about it without explaining, is it was originally pitched by Tony Isabella as a buddy comedy between Angel and Iceman, who had no other book, whereas uh, Uncanny X-Men was popular and Beast was in Avengers. It was going to be the two of them crossing America, having funny japes and misadventures, which I think could have been a really fun book. Yeah, yeah, I have no faith that Tony Isabella could have done more than, like, three yeah. issues of that. I, I honestly, like, as much as I love uh, Ghost Rider, I really think that, the the for the most part, there's a bunch of Marvel comics that try to have the characters on the road uh, shenanigans, and they almost never work because the majority of Marvel comics from the 70s have artists absolutely 100% unable to convey any sense of place. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's but also writers who are also unable to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I just feel that, that frankly, there, there's a point where, you know, unless it's in the New York area, like even, even the Hulk where he's bounding around all over the, 
you know, yeah, the which United was States. which you never believed ever ever. It just, you're like here he is now he's in Nevada and you're like are you sure? Are yeah, you sure? it kind of. It looks, this looks fucking just like New Mexico last issue, and just like Oregon the issue before that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was basically Sal Basima generic landscape, and so like, so there is which was thing. always weirdly like green mm-hmm. and with a lot of water, no matter what state. Yeah, he was. it is true. It is well. That's it. It was either green with a lot of water, or it was or desert. Yeah, which could have well have been Mars. Like it honestly, he really wasn't. It, I love Sal Basima in so many ways, but yeah, he was not a, a, a convincing evocateur of place. <laughs> was not. Mark, Mark Ray's second question: Which Gone comic company would you bring back? I have a, I have a answer that's not actually a company as such. Uh-huh. But, um, I would bring back Deadline. Oh. Who published Deadline? Like that was the, that was the I published nothing else, but um, I loved the just the, the variety that was in that anthology, and it was there was a genuine variety in terms of subject matter and tone, mm-hmm. but there was a consistency in terms of attitude, hmm. and I I would love to see something like that again. Hmm. You. Uh, it's a, sh- I'm really bummed that we weren't doing this like nine months ago. Cause if that question had come in, I could have said DC and it would have been good for a laugh or two. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, now I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure that I've got like a really strong where I'm like, Oh God, a company. Like, I think, I think there's some weird shit buried in the Atlas catalog, you know, but, uh, you know, but I I can't, I just don't really have much of the like, oh yeah, let's, you know, like I don't, I like first or eclipse or any of that stuff. Like none of that is really like, I'm like, oh, that, that company, you know, like there's, there's times where I wish that, yeah, just no idea. Honestly, I'm like, yeah, get those Fox comics reprints back in and then we'll talk. So no. <laughs> now here's a question, Jeff, do you want to keep going or do you want to save the remainder of the questions for next episode? Well, I honestly, I think we've still got like, like we've 14, got a 15 questions. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, blah, blah. Let's ask, did you see, did you see King's DMD King or yeah, what's De- 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 yeah. 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 Uh, let's, let's, let's do his and then close it off. I think. Okay. Oh. Uh, question number one, if you were a high school English teacher, as I am, this I being Devin, not me, which graphic novels slash trade paperback would you teach? And why? Or should they not be taught in English classes? First of all, th- of course they should be taught in English Absolutely classes. Why should, should yeah. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. yeah. Jeff and I are both, I think, firmly on the, well, that's a dumb question, Devin. Um, <laughs> but, but which ones would you, which ones would you teach? That is a really good question. Fle- well, you made a case earlier on for Flex Mentallo. Yeah, I think, I think Flex Mentallo would be fabulous. Although, uh, although I'm not really sure it'd be really a big, Eng- high school English hit. Like I could see it actually being a big hit for. It would be. I think it would be a massive hit in high school English. Like really, seriously, genuinely. Really? Yeah. I because uh. I think it speaks a lot to uh, teenager outsiderdom. I'm going to disagree because I think that the great thing about Flex Mentalo is it's when teenage outsiderdom starts to curdle, you know, 
Uh, so yeah, I, I can see that. I, I think it, I think it's such a, to me, I'm like, no, it's great for a college book. Cause I can see someone like, in, you know, in their early twenties or even in the, their beginning years of graduate studies or something like that, where they're sort of trying to figure out, like, I am now technically a thinking sentient being what stuff from my past, uh, do I discard and what stuff do I keep and why? And does it serve any purpose? You know, like, I feel like those are all questions. I think, I feel like teens kind of, you can entice them sort of with some of those questions as in a, Oh, Hey, here's something that you're going to be thinking about. But I, I think, I think teens, the teen sense of identity is so knee jerk ish which is something that is actually is addressed in flex, but I don't think in a way that necessarily would appeal to teens as much mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. would just, just even five or six years down the line line myself. So, uh, so that being said, I'm trying to think what I was thinking of in terms of stuff that would really work. I would do, uh, I think I might do the death of speedy. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be really tempted to do the love bunglers, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, actually, I, th- I think those, I think those are actually good choices. I think, I, I think, yeah, I think Jaime's stuff would be great to read. Um, I, I might actually do the Death of Speedy and the love bunglers. Yeah. Like yeah. together. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a shame because some of Beto's stuff just gets so insanely way too luridly sexual for me to be yeah, like, oh, yeah. Like, it, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I don't think it's a high school. Yeah, um, which is kind of no. a shame in a way because there is amazing stuff in there. Um, yeah, I think actually I'd those do, are great choices, uh, Graham. I, I would do America, the Judge Dredd uh, America. Oh, interesting. I think, and, I, and I'd include the sequels in there. Okay. Where, where Wagner grows in the sequels is really speaks to uh the strength of dread as a strip mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. but also he his what he does to the original story by where he goes in the sequels is is fascinating do you know like should uh, am i am i sort of saying things that you you're not aware of uh you you've mentioned america and i every time we get off the podcast i'm like god damn i got to read america and its sequels and i still haven't so uh yeah, yeah. So I, I basically, by the time that he's done his follow-ups, mm-hmm. um, he has kind of simultaneously proven the point of the original story and pissed all over it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that you can only do when you have a real-time story that is continuing twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'd follow that. But I think America as a standalone also is, is a really interesting book. So that's my choices. Those those are good choices. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I'm like ah, oh, I know this list upside down and backwards, but I I can't say that I really I'm surprised, do. I'm surprised you're not mentioning any Moore. I'm genuinely surprised you're not because I think that Moore has the formalist attributes that might make him really valuable for study for high school. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely do think so. I think there's a lot of ways that people can pick up Watchmen and be kind of like, oh, because there's, you know, it it, it I, is I a book that rewards. Them. What's that? 
I, See, yeah, maybe. I don't I don't think so, weirdly. I don't think that From Hell would really land with him, although maybe it would. I actually wonder if V for Vendetta might actually work a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I better. thought about V as well. Yeah, V V was one that I was thinking of. I was kind of thinking, you know, it's tough cuz I think I I think Persepolis is kind of a great read, honestly, as a as a teenager cuz it's about a teen. You know, it's about a teen going through rebellion, but it's like seven, 1970s Iran. So it's like a very different conception of, of what those things mean. So I think it, I think it maps really nicely across, uh, that sort of, uh, thing. I don't know. I, I was sitting here. It's, it's weird that it, it's like once you sort of took the Hernandez brothers away from me, I'm like, ah, shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, it depends. You tell them back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think, uh, it just, I think it kind of depends on the crowd too. I would love to see some Eddie Campbell taught separate and apart, like some of the Alex stuff. Cause I feel like it has the appeal that, that sometimes, um, you know, sort of the same way that something like Kerouac can land with a younger audience and get them excited yeah. about. And also, I, I think something like Graffiti Kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, I would, I would make a case for Graffiti Kitchen, even just as a standalone. Uh, as a, as a, uh, something to be studied, but also as something that has the depth of a novel earlier on. Yes. Which, you know, mm-hmm. graphic novels and, and standing up to the, the, the demands of, that we think of for literally novels. And I think the Graffiti Kitchen, even though it's only, I mean, it's super short. It's like 48 pages. Yeah. Um, but it does. There's there's so much in, in Graffiti Kitchen. I think so, too. Although, again, part of me was like, yeah, and that's why I'd really be into it at, at like a freshman college level. Again, it's weird. I, I, I yeah, it's but again, that's, that's possibly very true because yeah. it is – I mean, it's not sexually explicit, but it's also not shying away from that. And it strikes me that, that it's definitely something that could get a teacher in trouble in certain high schools. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it is exactly. It's very, it's, it's sexually striking without necessarily being explicit enough. And again, I think that Campbell placing it at the beginning of, of college, you know, so that it's really easy to draw the connections to it and Henry Miller or something like that, where, you know, it gives you further ways to explore. I'm going to throw this back to Devin. What would you be looking to teach? Like, why would you want to teach it? I put it for your high school students. Like, what is, what is your aim? What is what is the, the intent of doing this? Is it a comics or literature too, or is it a like? Is there something beyond that? Yeah, I. Mm-hmm. I also I want to throw in a, a bunch of words for uh, Klaus's Ghost World, which I still think is actually a really good book. Just I, and I, I feel like I'm keep fixating on teens and teen experiences and i don't think that that is even necessarily a requisite i just keep coming back well, to it like when you were in high school was that what you were taught because i i i definitely didn't have any teens and teens experience books in high school no i that could be british no, high no, school no no no. Exa- no 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 exactly i mean well i, I don't know i'm trying to think because there's some of it it's like huck finn which has a teen protagonist or like lord of the flies but some of that stuff's like you know i'm trying to think i'm trying to think what books i actually read in, you know, we read Grapes of Wrath. We read we read a lot of r- relatively mm, stuff that's good. That's actually pretty interesting, you know, Orwell. But but at the same time, is relatively um, I don't know. 
I, very straightforward. You know what I mean? It, it took yeah, a while yeah. before I started reading stuff that it was like, oh, like I remember my, it wasn't until my senior year that we read something like an excerpt from, uh, of John Gardner's Beowulf. And reading that was great because again, maybe not especially subtle, but I could see the, the subtext of it just sort of lift off the page, you know, and suddenly it was like, oh, the, the, why am I reading it being a question that the reader had to answer for themselves? You know, something, something like 1984 or Animal Farm, bless its heart. Why, why am I reading this or why am I reading Huck Finn or why am I reading Grapes of Wrath? Those are questions that are all very easily answered in the text themselves. And so maybe there's ways in which, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that they're, you know, so part of me is like, I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe something crazy and over the top, like Doom Patrol. But like, you know, for me, I'm like, I, I don't know, Ghost World, uh, Chester Brown's like, uh, I never liked you. I think, you know, some of his, his auto bio stuff is really kind of, um, could be really powerful at, at, at that level. You know, part of me is like, I don't know, you know, something like fun home is amazing for the degree of clarity and context that it has. And I think that would be a great read for, for someone, I, you know, I'm like, you know, I, Peter Milligan and Duncan Fregrito's, uh, Enigma. Enigma. Would oh, yeah. Be a, yeah. Yeah. That would be a great high school but again, graphic novel. That strikes me as a book that would get a lot of people into trouble in certain high schools. Could. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely. It depends. It depends on, 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 on where the, high the school. comfort zone is for the high school. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. Wait, question two, when you're looking for thoughtful approaches to comic criticism, who, what do you read for particularly enlightened opinions? Blah. Graham, do you want to start? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Here is my honest response. Uh-huh. I don't know anymore. I There's a bunch of people who I like reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more and more, I'm looking for voices that are going to be suggesting things that I do I will not consider mm-hmm. that I would not immediately think about mm-hmm. and in terms of long form writing I'm finding that really hard these days to find that I am seeing more interesting things and more thought provoking things on Twitter mm-hmm. than I am in in long form comics criticism essays and part of that is I'm not reading enough especially in the last month especially since since I've been moving out of the house for mm-hmm. to to like and everything's been in, in chaos. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I just literally am not reading enough. Right. But I I I don't know who I would recommend anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like it used to be I'd be like, well David Brothers. You yeah. should read David Brothers, you should read Jed, then you know, you could but these people aren't writing about comics anymore. Yeah. Although some of the stuff's still out there and it is that kind of <laughs> yeah, new the, the, to you the, the, kind the, of concept. You know? Sure, you know that material's out there, you, you know. But I, I, I don't know who I'd point to now. I genuinely don't. Yeah, I mean, for me, the deficit, the fault is in me. Um, I, I used to read a ton of that stuff. I've really fallen off. I'm really just sort of falling off on my reading overall. I mean, it's probably the worst year of my life to actually ask about online anything because it's, it's honestly, uh an amazingly good day during the weekday where I can spend more than 15 minutes on Twitter. So uh, much less hunting around on, on those sites. Uh, 
I will, I will, I will start with the stuff that I used to read. Like I can't, um, I think it's so useful and so incredibly helpful to have people writing about comics, uh, in a, in a critical way, hopefully an enjoyable way. But I mean, I will, so like, you know, the, the early comics journals, God, I adore them. And, and I, it's hard for me to imagine me thinking about comics the way that I do without thinking of the way that articles by Carter Schultz, who just killed me when he was writing for the comics journal, uh, and Arfior, his writing for funny book roulette and even Gary Groth's when he would sit in and just lay into stuff really taught me so much about how to think about comics and even, I suppose the industry. So part of me is like, it's sometimes you find those people. I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you got to find someone. I, I would say the only person for me and I'm not well read at all, but of course for me, anything that Abhay writes about anything, even if I don't agree with it, I will read it and, and usually adore it. Uh, and he's still kicking up every now and then about stuff. I don't even necessarily agree with his stuff, but I always end up, which I don't even know why I need to throw that in there. It's, you know, it's just, I, I, I adore that guy's writing. I adore how much I'm always profoundly struck by how differently his mind works for mine in a way that I always walk away being like, huh, I used to think I was smart. Uh, somebody who I think is an absolutely devastating a uh, writer about comics that and and about art in a way that really rings my chimes is uh, Sarah Horks. I, I actually I, yeah, and and uh, Zainab when Zainab used to do it, and she's just quit. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, comics are cola. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for whatever reason, I never quite got into her work the same way i know other people just again really rank chimes there were a few times where i read her stuff and be like yeah and other times where i'm like i'm not even familiar enough with the work to know one of the things that i find interesting about uh horrocks writing is is that even when i don't know the what she's writing about the things that she is interested in the work are speak profoundly enough to me that 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 can engage me so yeah mm -hmm. so i think i think i think there's a lot oh honestly it's a shame that that noah berlatsky is sort of shuddering the hooded utilitarian uh because i thought that there was stuff there sometimes there was stuff that i thought was not great there's still stuff that i think was amazing i wish i could remember who wrote it but the <laughs> there was a, a a a woman who contributed to wrote a column about the importance of Rorschach being short, uh, which was a great, great fucking piece. Oh my god, that was such a good piece about Watchmen, which I thought I knew backwards and forwards, and was a fabulous, fabulous uh, piece of writing about Rorschach. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it's that's barely a better. Uh, range of answers than us talking about torrents, unfortunately. But definitely, yeah, Sarah, man, yeah. whatever she's doing, follow it. I think that's I think that's a good place to end it. We have a lot of questions left. We have a lot of questions left. People. <laughs> we do. Um, so we're gonna have to do it uh, not next time because next time's the Baxter Building. Mm. Two two episodes from now, mm. uh, and also 
the Bax building is in two weeks. So three weeks from now, we will continue. What What are you talking about? What's happening next? Is next week a skip week? Yeah, because this is our third in a row. It's our third in a row, but that's only because we we jammed our <laughs> skip week from last time. Is it? Yeah, because man. Be- yeah, because it's so oh, funny. I'm, I'm all I'm all thrown out then. Well, that's I mean that's fine. We didn't we actually didn't work any scheduling through after SDCC. We actually, so, I mean, yeah, we totally didn't. I, uh, so I mean, I, if you want to do that, that's certainly fine. Part of me has felt like we've been we've been podcasting for eternity, but uh, I I think we should uh, okay. if because there, I for reasons that I will tell you off recording, but uh, it might be easier for uh, basic like practical where I am. Uh, oh right, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, because two weeks from now I should be back in the house. Oh. That would be fabulous. Okay, that that so, that I think so is we'll worth. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, listeners, people. Hey, until you are otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So we will be uh, not next episode because that's the Baxter Building. See, I don't so know if that's half- a good idea. Don't you feel like we can bump a, a Baxter Building for oh, like I another week and finish sure. up these questions? So let's do that. Two weeks from now, we'll finish up the rest of the questions. Then we'll do a Baxter Building. Uh, then everyone will have a big party. I'll have a big party because so I'm going to be back in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. So, so definitely. I should actually explain for a second. There's, I keep making references to not being in the house or moving out. I, my house is under reconstruction, which is why I'm not in the house and hasn't been since what? When, when was the last episode? The last Baxter building. Last mm-hmm. Baxter building was the last episode that recorded in, in my house. Wow. And everything since then, which has been in, in, in various states of, of other places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, by the time the next Baxter building, I'll be in the house again. Everything will be fine and dandy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> looking forward to that. Damn it, fine and dandy. Uh, although that being said, I'm like, oh, thank God the second half of this recorded, like your, Jeff, your sound quality Jeff's is so much fine. better. I'm dandy. <laughs> Together they fight crime. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That sounds good to me. Uh, okay, uh, everyone... Uh, Graham, Wait, do you okay. want to start closing us up? Yes, I'm going to start closing us up. Listeners, thanks for this increasingly crazy, goofy episode. Thank you for all your questions, which were genuinely appreciated. We will get to the remainder uh, next time. Mm-hmm. We are – I'm going to throw you off again, Jeff. We're listeners to the podcast. <laughs> uh, we are supported by the fine people who go through our Patreon. Jeff has something to say about Patreon. Yes, I have to say that that Graham is right. If it were not for the people at Patreon, certainly the Baxter Building, I don't think uh, would would exist or exist in quite the same way. Their uh, support and willing to accept our financial dares means that uh, we do far more than I sometimes think is even prudent. And we are incredibly grateful for that. They they help keep us alive, sane, on schedule, uh, and and free. I, I'm so glad that we have done over 200 episodes of this, and there's not one ad on it. I mean, apart from... You know what I mean? Apart from us. So, uh, blabbing about ourselves. Uh, 
I also want to give a special shout out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios uh, for their ongoing support. And Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, who is yet to crush our Milky Way in her celestial paw uh, and also continues to support the podcast. We are grateful to them. And like I said, to everyone who contributes, frankly, everyone who listens to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeff's in a very, very grateful mood. So am I, as we said. Uh, Jeff, I was going to take a break for a second just to say, I don't know if you, I'm fairly sure you follow the uh, Twitter feed of the person who uh, is the human of Empress Audrey. Did you see Empress Audrey appear in the Twitter feed recently? No, I didn't. Ooh. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a Twitter feed. Definitely on some social media of that person who shall not be named. Uh, Empress Audrey made an appearance and I was like, it's Empress Audrey. That's excellent. ridiculously excited. Maybe it was Tumblr. I, I'm not even sure where I saw it. I just know I saw it and got really excited. Wow. Anyway, we, uh, we are on Twitter as, as a podcast at, wait, what podcast is where you'll find us on Twitter. Jeff's on Twitter at Lazy Bassett at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-N. <laughs> Again, I mess up spelling my own name at J-R-A-E-M-E-M. It's been a long day, people. Uh, we are on Tumblr at waitbot, not even at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com mm-hmm. is where you'll find uh, posts not just from me anymore, but from Jeff as well. That's right. He even a second fucking Tumblr <laughs> to, to, to re-tumble himself. This is very exciting, people. Yeah. Uh, you have no idea how excited I am about this. It's great. I'm thrilled. Uh, okay, so that's waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. What is yours called? Uh, oh, well, that's okay. You could, the whole goal of, of, uh, spinnerrack.tumblr.com is to, is to basically, like I said, just to create posts in a way that could easily differentiate them from Graham's. But then ironically enough, <laughs> Graham started signing every one of his posts. And now I sign <laughs> my posts from Spinnerrack as well. And now it's, so yeah, completely redundant, but, uh, it's sort of fun having, having a, uh, Tumblr called Spinnerrack. And it was kind of fun being like, Oh, I can fill this up with stuff that I'm, in fact, just today I was reading the, the faith trade paperback, uh, and afterwards was like, Oh shit, I should have screenshotted a few things and, and jotted off some ideas about it. And I sort of like the idea of that. So, uh, we are also occasionally, sometimes, maybe posting uh, written posts on the Wait What Podcast website, which is waitwhatpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have chunk of unfinished things put up so you'll probably get a bunch of stuff from me uh very soon i hope and my Inclu- girl keeps promising stuff too so uh but including the uh second month of rebirth books Ooh, interesting which, which would have been up again if i had not been on the move right but yeah you'll you'll get you got some of that very soon and jeff has jeff posted again people everything's good in the world jeff robich <laughs> it's important i was very excited to see that oh thank uh, you Yes, I think that's it. I think we've done it in a sort of roundabout way. Jeff, is there anything you want to add for this discombobulated episode? I don't, I don't think so. Again, thank you everyone. If you hear this and there's going to be a two week gap and you decide, oh shit, now I thought of a question. What the hell, people? Send them our way. Drop us a line at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, tweet it uh, at uh, waitwhatpodcast. Or, you know, if you are a patron, I sent out that post. Just respond to that. And it does a pretty good job of going 
right to our inboxes. I was pretty pleased with that system, so I got to remember to got to got to do that. And maybe do that a little more often because I, I was I was very gratified by the amount of yeah, I, I, really I think smart questions from people. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, otherwise, so. people, I'm just going to sing us out. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with more A's to your Q's. Bye! That's lovely. Lovely.